is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, the, the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Oh, and look at this. We're back up and running on the Haystack on a Friday. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer. Matt Catarazzolo, our Big J journalist. The OG Big J journalist. Before I had to hire Monica because you had school. Because <laughs> I chose an education. Yeah, geek. Anyway, <laughs> uh, plenty of stuff to go over today. Uh, Matt's favorite day, Friday Athlete Deathmatch Day. You know, I had to uh, be here. you know I had to be here for it. For sure, four that's coming up. Uh, at noon, but I do want to begin with this. Successful teams in the NFL all have similar things in common. From top to bottom, you'll see they have really strong core foundational pieces in normally the same spots. You know, a stable front office uh, and a brilliant coach, uh, those things are obvious. You need those things. Guys that draft well, bring good culture, and scheme up good game plans, that's a given. You, you, most successful teams have that. Pretty much all of them do. Then I've always said that your roster needs more often than not to be strong in these three places. Quarterback, offensive line, and pass rushers. You need to be able to control the game with your quarterback, protect that quarterback, and get after the other team's quarterback. It's pretty simple. Whenever I watch the San Francisco 49ers, I think to myself, they're the example. They're the example in the league. Teams should model what they do after what the Niners have done. The more I watch, the more I realize that the, they built this roster perfectly. But... It's it's not completely finished, but you know it's it's close. It's getting there. Could they use a corner? Yeah, probably. Could they use maybe another receiver? Eh, maybe. Yeah, but this is pretty close to what you're going to get with the Niners. This is it right here. I look at this Niners roster and I'm thinking that teams need to take notes on what they're doing. This is the team in the NFL that has the actual blueprint. Most people think it's New England. I told you last week that they're the anomaly. Nobody can do what New England does. The 49ers are obtainable with smart coaching and smart people up top. The, the Niners are something that every team can do. Nobody can do New England. Nobody can do Belichick and Brady. They are the anomaly to success because everything that they do seems to work. They, it's just... Whatever they have going on over there is just different. You can't model yourself after the Patriots because it isn't possible to do so. The Niners are possible. This is an obtainable thing. John Lynch is a fantastic GM who's drafted well and in the right areas. That entire defensive line is first-round picks. Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, D. Ford, Solomon Thomas, they're all first-rounders. They also spent a recent first-rounder on Mike McGlinchey, their starting right tackle, and he's excellent. Hurt, but he's excellent. The Niners have used premium picks on premium positions and have used the rest of the assets to build around them. 
Have we noticed that life gets a lot easier for franchises when they draft well? You hit on your first rounder in the right spot, and then the next round, you hit on that wide receiver, or you hit on that corner, or, or anything like that, that linebacker, whatever. The 49ers have done uh, multiple years in a row, and they, uh, they've done that um, you know, multiple years in a row, and this roster is stacked with star players and tons of depth at every position. Think about it. They have four legit running backs. Four. Coleman, Breida, Mostert, and Jeff Wilson. All legit running backs. Four legit receivers. A great tight end. Great O-line even with both tackles hurt. Best front seven in the league. And a capable second. The weakest part of their team is probably their secondary. And it isn't bad. It's capable. They have a number one corner. This is a capable team, and this is all led by a great GM, a coach that more often than not outsmarts you, and a skilled, confident quarterback. You don't believe he's confident? Jimmy Garoppolo hit on Aaron Andrews after the game was over. (laughs) He's confident. That was amazing. The Niners have the blueprint figured out. If you could find any example in the league on how to build a successful winning football team, San Francisco is that example. And they keep proving it week after week. They do. They can beat you in multiple ways. They can blow you out. They could not blow you out, but play great defense. See, Matt brought up a stat to me earlier in the, uh, before we went on air. He said the Niners in their eight games have scored under 20 points once. In a sh- and that was in a shutout victory, too. Right, and they sh- it was the game against the Redskins in the horrible, horrible conditions in Washington, and they won 9 nothing. They're currently ninth in the NFL in points per game on offense. Oh, sorry, third. Third in the NFL in points per game on offense. 29.4. I mean, look, they score points. But even on the days they don't score points, they still beat you. Their offense is good one day, they're, ba- they're bad on defense. Their defense is good one day, they're bad on offense. Whatever it is. But they still find a way to win in that game. That's great coaching, that's great leadership up top, and that's great roster construction. What the Niners are doing, and this is why a lot of people had them, and, and I call myself an idiot because I didn't buy them as soon as I should have, but... A lot of people had them better than what I thought they were going to be, and they were right because this team is built the exact right way, and what they're doing is something that you need to take note of. You know what's interesting? Could you imagine that if ownership pulled the plug on John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan? Because think about it, two seasons, 4-12, and 6-10. and 10. Could you imagine that they were like, all right, you know what, this isn't working, we're going to throw it out, start from scratch. Could you imagine if they didn't give it a little bit more time and let them build up that roster right. the way they did? And, no, now, and now look where they are. They, they arguably have the best yeah, GM it's crazy to think, coach combo in the NFL. Crazy also, to think that it was that different not too long ago, yeah. It was also the sense that they were also waiting for Jimmy Garoppolo. They traded for Garoppolo a few years ago. He, they went on the late-season run. They lost Garoppolo week two, so that kind of got them a mulligan. You get Garoppolo, so Garoppolo's back now for a full season. They got their full team. Oh, and that mulligan got them Nick Bosa. <laughs> so, yeah, and that mulligan who, got them who Nick Who Nick Bosa, Bosa right now is the most dominant pass rusher in football. And so Interestingly enough, in this Garoppolo now they have a full, hopefully a full, uh, full year with him, and he's played these first several, these first couple of games, these first eight games. 
They're still they're twenty first in passing yards. Garoppolo has thrown one hundred sixty six, two ninety six, two seventy seven, one eighty one, two forty three, one fifty one, one seventy five. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, one seventy five and three seventeen last night, four touchdowns. They're twenty first in the league in passing yards. So Garoppolo has played good, not like great, but he's played good. Yeah, and even going back, he's to only got nine touchdown passes on the year. And he's, four and Jimmy four, Garoppolo's not playing great football. He's four, not he's not overly talented. And four of them were last night. Yeah, but he's got skills that Kyle Shanahan can work with, and that's really and what's important. You're right. Going back to their backfield, like it is super well rounded. We always forget that Jarek McKinnon, who was supposed to be like. A really good addition to there when they got him from Minnesota two years ago. Hasn't I don't think he's played a full game for them. He hasn't played any game. Yeah, for he them. hasn't played a game for them yet. So you imagine you imagine that running back with Brita Coleman and a healthy McKinnon too. You want to talk about dual threat running backs? There's three of them that could be the first option dual threat on a start on a good NFL team. Right. Exactly. It's interesting to think about. Crazy. All right. Uh, I do want to shift to this because I'm old enough to remember when Kyler Murray got drafted number one overall, and most people absolutely hated it. I'm old enough. You know, they didn't even give Josh Rosen a chance. They're only getting because the handsome guy wants him. Oh, how insightful. The truth is when the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury, it was game over for Josh Rosen. And rightfully so. Not because he was a bad quarterback, but because Cliff had a specific plan and you have to run with it. Once you hired him, you had to run with it. Now the Cardinals are 3-5-1 and one on the year. I see people all the time saying, It's not working! Should have drafted Bosa and kept Rosen in your face! You were wrong! Uh, even though the Cardinals have already matched their win total from last year in half the time, and they've been in almost every game, everybody still seems to think that it isn't working. Arizona has progressively gotten better Week by week. Have we noticed? I talk about young quarterbacks all the time because I'm fascinated with the progression. I'm, I love seeing the development and the cycle of quarterbacks in the NFL. It's fun to watch for me. It's fascinating. And not for nothing, but their one tie was week one against Detroit in Kyler Murray's first NFL start. And now you look at Detroit, who's actually been on a, on a considerable run and looks like they could actually challenge in their own division. Right. And, you know, he took them to overtime, and they tied. So, I mean, you know, you even give them that game, they're positive. So, I mean, it's, it's I don't know, it, there's, there's a lot of things to talk about when you talk about that. Right. The very next week later, Kyler Murray went to Baltimore and had a pretty darn good performance there, too. That's not a place where rookie quarterbacks have success. No. Kyler Murray played pretty well there, and the Cardinals hung in there with them. Right. But this is how I know the system is working in Arizona. Have we realized that Kyler Murray isn't really making very many mistakes? And it isn't like Cliff is protecting him. This is an air raid offense that requires a lot of open space and big passing plays, throwing the ball downfield, taking risks. Kyler is executing this as well as you can for a rookie. Young quarterbacks are, and everybody knows this, they're notorious for making unnecessary mistakes. And this lasts for a while. It lasts years for young guys. What was that? I was just, I, listen, I just look at the Kyle Murray stat sheet, and then I get a music. So if you want, if you want, oh, if you want to go with the music, let's go my. with it. Let's go with the music. No. Yeah, I, I, was, I was getting in a groove. Man. You, you were vibing? There you go. 
Every young quarterback has it. Literally every single one. You're not going to find one that doesn't. And what's Kyler Murray doing it with? He's doing it with Larry Fitz, Andy Isabella, no David Johnson, now no Chase Edmonds. What does he do? Hakeem Butler got hurt, was out for the season before the season even started. Right. So Max what is, Williams. What has he got to work with? Mm-hmm. Christian Kirk. It's not a lot. That's, that's a lot to consider is, that's, like, what's around you. Right. No offensive line. Like, right. Virtually no tight end. Right. But, but think about this for a second. So Sam Darnold tries to make the play when it isn't there. That's his rookie, that's his rookie Achilles heel. Baker Mayfield leads the league in picks. Josh Allen still can't consistently complete 60% of his throws. Okay, Daniel Jones has his things. Dwayne Haskins, all of them. They all, of the, they all have their thing. Daniel Jones is perfect. Don't say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Kyler Murray is the only one I watch where that isn't a problem. He may not throw a million touchdowns, but he doesn't make bad decisions, and he doesn't turn the ball over. That's impressive to me. The offense Cliff Kingsbury designed for Kyler Murray is creative, it's electric, it calls for both of Kyler's arm and his legs, it rewards elusiveness and speed, it is tailor-made for Kyler Murray and his skill set, and it's showing. Kyler isn't making the mistakes that normal rookies make. He looks comfortable, he looks confident in himself. I mean, he looks like he knows when to give up on a play. What about this isn't working? Because they're in last. Is it because they're in last place in a in an awesome division? In, in probably the best division in football. I mean, is it because they're not a playoff team out of the gate? I got news for you. It, they wouldn't be if they took Nick Bosa instead, and Josh Rosen was still their quarterback. They wouldn't be a playoff team even then. They'd still be in last place. And I would guess that they would still, in my, basically in my opinion, they would still be probably worse than they are now. Josh Rosen's not even starting on a team that's in full tank mode. Right. He's terrible. Right now, he's terrible. Well, what, I, are, what, are we, what are we saying here? I mean, the Cardinals made the right move by letting Cliff Kingsbury take the player that perfectly fits what his plan was. Just because they're not 7-1 and one doesn't mean it's not working. You can clearly see the improvement, and you can clearly see the growth and maturity in Kyler Murray. This system for Cliff Kingsbury, I get that everybody's got this notion about him. Oh, he didn't deserve an NFL job. He was negative in college. He got hired because he's handsome. And all. Okay. Okay. They're 3-5-1. and one. They've already matched their win total from last year. And you can easily see the improvement. Kyler Murray is getting better every week. He's getting more comfortable every week. I mean, the, the Cardinals were in the game last night till the final minutes. That, that final score was 28-25. The Cardinals didn't get blown out yesterday. And, and think about this, right? So when, when, uh, when the 49ers were on, were on the goal line on that fourth down and the Cardinals stopped him, but Cliff Kingsbury called that timeout right before, and it got called back, so they got, so they got another chance, yeah. and then Garoppolo threw the touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders to put them up. Right. So Cliff Kingsbury never calls that timeout. They get that stop on fourth down. They go back. They go up, what, 25-21? Probably. 25-21? Yeah. Do they win that game? Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. Maybe. That's the thing. Another it's, funny thing to think about, we too. Could, 
We could say all we want. Oh, they, it's, it isn't working. Really? Because in my eyes, if you're actually watching the Arizona Cardinals, there's no possible way that you can, that you can think that. You also have to get credit. Kyler Murray was slinging it all around the field yesterday. Kyler Murray's got an arm. He's five foot six, and he's got an arm. You also have to credit the 49ers offense right after that on their last drive as soon as they got the 88-yard touchdown to get really back in the game, 28-25. Niners go back on offense, and they convert three third downs. Not one, two, three third downs to close out this football game. That's, that's impressive in terms of finishing a game and not letting the momentum shifting become all the way to the Cardinals. And they, 49ers were able to take back the game and close it out right there. Converting three, three third downs, that's impressive. After being down, after with only up twenty eight twenty five after that right. touchdown. All right, it's funny because San Francisco is where are they at? Yes, sir. San Francisco is fourth and third down conversion. There you only, go. Only behind Dallas, Philly, and Oakland of all teams. There you go. Yeah, those Oakland Raiders, man. Uh, all right, coming up next. Boy, was I right about why Kevin Durant left Golden State, and I have a proposal for Golden State that they absolutely need to do. That's coming up next. The Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Good to have you back. Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This Mike, chair is really Evan, Matt Big J Journalist. <laughs> Switch chairs. No, I like every, every like... Two or three minutes, I notice I'm like, I'm, I notice I'm like here. Sink. And I, but I don't touch. You go the, from Aaron Judge to Jose Altuve in a minute. But I, I, don't, I don't touch the, the lever. You don't touch the thing? Yeah. That's. I just, I gotta, just get on with it. I just got to stay still. So uh, I want to get into this. So when Kevin Durant left the Warriors, there were all these different theories to why he left and you know, my opinion was that he couldn't trust the uh, he couldn't trust anybody. He couldn't trust the medical staff. Couldn't trust the organization, uh, and he didn't feel wanted or needed. You know, as a star player, you never want to feel devalued. It, it, pretty much in anything, I I don't want to feel devalued here. I want to feel like I bring something to the table. So it turns out that I was right. Kevin Durant talked with Stephen A. Smith about why he left Golden State. Here's what he said. Because I, I don't recall the answer to this question. Did that play a role in you leaving Golden State? A little bit, yeah, for sure. Do you want to expand, expand on that at all? Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, your teammate talked to you that way. You think about it a bit. But, you know, we talk, like I said, we talked about it. But definitely, for sure, I'm not going to lie about it. Katie, why do you ultimately decide to leave? I just felt like I needed a switch. I felt like a lot of stuff in Golden State had reared its head, and I felt like uh, we, that was just going to be the end no matter what, it's especially for that group. Sean Livingston was retiring. Andre Iguodala was getting older. Our contracts were going to stifle the team and put us in the hole to get other players. So I was just like, you know, it was what? time for all of us to kind of separate. Okay. So let's break this down for a second. If you don't remember, if you don't remember what he's referencing, you remember when Draymond Green called him the B word, and then said, "Dude, we won without you. Leave." Yeah, that's what he's referencing, and that's what I was trying to tell you the entire time through free agency. 
I, he was, I, and originally, I'll be the first to admit, I originally thought he was going to go back. But then once I started hearing more and more, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way he goes back to Golden State now. And he shouldn't. Here's my proposal for today. And you're going to think I'm crazy, but hear me out. The Golden State Warriors should trade Draymond Green. If you know what's good for you, trade Draymond Green. He's not a foundational piece to your franchise. He's your Achilles heel. And he continually shows why he's the detriment to your organization. And sooner rather than later, the fan base is going to realize that too. When do we sit here? When can we actually sit here and say, okay, so... Draymond's recent history, um, so he constantly leads the league in penalties. He was the reason we lost the, in most people's eyes, he was the reason we lost the 2016 finals because he got suspended for game five. And uh, now he's the reason why KD left. And, okay, Steph's hurt, and with Steph hurt, and even without Steph hurt, we were one of the worst teams in the NBA. We can't win a game. No clay for the season either. No clay for the season. Curry's now for a bit. So, in the fans' eyes, you've got to think about this. How would the fans still sympathize and like Draymond Green? What justification do Warriors fans have for needing him? Like, if you say to a Warriors fan, why do you guys need Draymond Green? It's like, why? Are are you missing those? Are you missing that 7-7-6 average? Yeah, right. That's... That's what I've been trying to say. Oh, but he's great defensively. Really? Has he made that much of a difference the past couple of years? That's, that's what I want to know. So let's just let's take a look at a couple of things. Because I am very interested in what Draymond Green, again, his past history has been. So... I want to take a look at his teammate, who's very similar to him, a new kid they drafted named Eric Paschal. Villanova kid, played for a while at Villanova, won a national title. Nice player, really nice player. He's averaging 13 points a game, three rebounds. He's about two assists a game. And he's he's got about a 63.5% field goal percentage. Let's just, let's take a gander here. He's 6'9", he's stocky, he's pretty athletic, he's a power forward, he's pretty well-rounded, he can pass, he can rebound, he can play defense, nice player. He's Draymond Green, except younger and um, less of a problem. So, my question still remains, what in the world would justify keeping Draymond Green in Golden State? You could probably get a first-round pick for him. What if Golden State kind of has to go into a slight rebuild, right? I had a feeling they're going to trade D'Angelo Russell. I mean, they're, this is the team that needs to kind of start over. They do. Steph Curry's hurt. You have no Klay Thompson. You, you're rolling with D'Angelo and Draymond Green. You are already losing games. Your depth is gone. You're not, you aren't good. The Warriors aren't good this year. So trade them. The fan base doesn't want him, and they won't want him. Because, okay, you're the reason we lost in 2016. 
You constantly lead the league in penalties. You're constantly causing problems in the news. Now you're the reason KD left. And we're awful now. It's your fault. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. So give me the reason why Draymond Green should still be in Golden State. Because there shouldn't be. So my proposal to you today, Draymond Green, his relationship with Golden State should be over. The Warriors should trade Draymond Green. Okay. Let's go to the news. How about this? Big J journalist Matt Catarazzolo here on a Friday. Yep. November so, 1st. It finally got cold. I know. Look, see, look where I am. Look and you're am. lower. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to, no matter where I start the segment, I'll be sub microphone by the end of it. <laughs> so ridiculous. Anyway, okay, so last week. You hear him talking, and it's like, so the Warriors, they're not very good this year. <laughs> so last week, Nick and Joey Bosa became the first two brothers to win the NFC Defensive Player of the Week and AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Oh, wow. Should we be talking about Nick Bosa in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation, not just yes! the Defensive Rookie of the Year conversation? Evan, what did I tell you a couple of days ago about Nick Bosa? He's the most ferocious pass rusher you've seen all year? Uh, yeah. Uh, to me, he's the best pass rusher in the league this year. There is nobody that is more unstoppable this year than Nick Bosa. There isn't. I mean, the guy's... He's already Khalil Mack. You realize that, right? Nick Bosa's got seven sacks on the year. He's already in the upper echelon of pass rushers. He's the most dominant defensive player in football today. He is. He absolutely should be, without question, Matt. Have we ever seen uh, an NFL player win defensive rookie of the year and defensive player of the year in the same year? I know Keekley won it in, in his rookie year and then won it and then won defensive player of the year the next year. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Uh, has there anybody, uh, ever been a defensive player who has won rookie and defensive player of the year in the same year? Yeah, right. I, know, I know Lawrence Taylor won defensive player of the year and MVP in the same year in 86. Wow. Right. Something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually but I don't, don't, I don't know. know about defensive rookie and actually defensive player of the year. Can't believe, I still can't believe it. But if anybody, I Lawrence think... Taylor won MVP one, one year. When was the last time a defensive player won MVP? People were talking about Aaron Donald in eight in uh, last season, right? But he but didn't. he didn't win. <laughs> he didn't. He but. didn't win. Patrick Mahomes had that crazy year. But well, yeah, but if Patrick Mahomes doesn't throw five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns, does Aaron Donald win MVP? I mean, listen, he didn't. Maybe he came close to beating the sack record. He didn't, but he came pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. I think it was like a sack and a half away. I think it was, it was the sack record is twenty-two and a half by Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan. Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. Twenty-two and a half. Boy, Crazy. The, boy, the Giants have had some dominant all, all-time pass rushers, and now we don't have any. You have none. You have none. And you just traded for Leonard just, Williams. I was just going to say, what, what were your thoughts on the Leonard Williams? It was trade? an awful trade for the Giants. The Why? Jets made out. You think so? Oh, it was awful. It was all So, I think it all depends on what happens after the season. Like, if he, if he signs an extension or, I mean, he opts out. So, okay, I don't know. so essentially what happened is the Giants lose either way. I don't know. I don't think so. I, don't think I, think it, they I, don't, do. I don't think it's a straight now, loss. Now, if Leonard Williams turns into a double-digit sack guy every year, then yes, you turned out something. But I don't think that's the case. Leonard Williams has struggled with the Jets ever since he got drafted. The Giants aren't necessarily in a position to give up draft picks. They give up a third-round pick and a fifth, and if the Giants sign him long-term, that means they're going to give him... That means they got to give up a... 
uh, a fourth instead of a fifth. And, and it's another interior defensive lineman. And the Giants. You already have four guys. You have you have B.J. Hill, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence already playing interior defensive line. Where are these guys all going to play? And that's the thing. And if, if we're going to listen, if we're going to trade away statistically the best run stopper in the NFL and Snacks Harris in Detroit for a fifth rounder, only to draft, only to draft another nose tackle from Clemson at 17th overall, then to trade for Leonard Williams only to do that in week 7 or 6 right before the deadline when we don't have any out we don't have any outside rush we don't have any middle linebackers we're limited defensively but you don't I, have a safety to speak of i think what they do ah Jabril, Jabril Peppers can ah, fill okay out, Jabril he, Peppers he can, can play. fill out yeah. that role but no I, you're right he can play so, what i'm saying is i i think they're trying to create the uh the identity of if they want to line up Leonard Williams next to Dexter Lawrence fill those trenches to really bolster this run defense that's fine. That's all well and good. We're in a we're in a division with Ezekiel Elliott, Miles Sanders, and Jordan Howard. We're going to need to do that. Right. But our struggles are continuing that we're not getting after the quarterback. If you look at the Giants games, the opposing quarterbacks have all the time in the world, which means they can get passes downfield, they have more time to think, they can move around. So if we don't get an outside rush, which doesn't help us, I think there are some pros, though, to the Leonard Williams trade. Listen, he's 25 years old, okay? He's a first-round draft pick. Maybe it's change of scenery is just what he needed. I mean, we don't know, but I think that... So who gets let go? I mean, again, you, he's at, at worst case for the Giants, he's, in, he's a half-season rental. So eight at the end of the season, whatever, he leaves. Yeah, but you, that means you just gave up a third and a fifth-round pick. Which is why I'm for saying... For a half-season rental when you're not competing. Which is why I'm saying I hope he doesn't. So I think the Giants will... I don't want to use the term win because, yeah, a third-round draft pick is probably more valuable than someone that's playing like Leonard Williams. But I think if he signs an extension and we get him for the next, whatever it is, three, four, five years, you know, in will we'll probably be the prime of his career, I think, yeah, in the long run, that could bode well for the Giants. I'm not saying it will, but it could. They haven't begun contract talks yet, but they're definitely open to it. And what's the bread and butter of the Giants? The bread and butter of the Giants is getting out to the quarterback and running the football. That's always been their way of success. I didn't agree with the third round. Yeah, we haven't I, had that in years. I like I like Leonard Williams. I, I don't know if he gives you that pass rushing help, though. What what it concerns me is that third round pick really could have been used to help out Daniel Jones. Right now it should right. be build, build a team around Daniel Jones. And get get your pass rush, build some team, get some get him some playmakers, help the offensive line. Best case scenario, Giants don't win for don't win another game for the rest of the season and draft Chase Young. That's what I want. As a Giants fan, like that's what I want to see. I don't want to see I don't care if the first four or five picks are all quarterbacks, but there's a good chance Chase Young could go in the top three. You have two choices. The, the, I think these need to be your two top options with your first round pick this year. Are you going to you bring up Ian, Ian Epinosa or Espinosa? Or AJ Epinosa, no. No. Chase Young. If you can get Chase Young, you take him no He's matter what. game changer. The kid's the best pass rushing prospect maybe ever. And really? Yeah, maybe ever. Now, he has more traits today than LT did when he when he came out. Good to lord! Him. Okay, he's ridiculously good. Chase Young or Jerry Judy? I want Jerry Judy so bad, but I don't want to re- listen. We're, the Giants are going to end up with a top six pick. I think. They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll get around where they had last year. So here's the thing. So let's because I I I play around with mock drafts all the time. So. 
you're assuming that the top two picks in the draft are going to go to Miami and Cincinnati in no particular order. That's going to be and that's, that's going to be two quarterbacks. That's so going to be Tua and Tua and probably Justin Herbert. Probably Justin Herbert. Joe or, Burrow could end up in that conversation. Joe Burrow's rising. Joe Burrow. A Joe lot of Burrow could end up was, in that conversation a, as well. There was a mock draft on CBS Sports. I had Joe Burrow as like the second overall pick. Right. J- Jacob Eason too, maybe. Right. So, right now as it speaks, right, Tua and. I would say Justin Herbert would be the two first right. players off the board because they're quarterbacks. Uh-huh. Uh, the next pick would be Washington. They would take that left tackle out of Georgia, Andrew Thomas, right? Okay. Atlanta, right, right, because it looks like Trent. I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard the whole Trent Williams thing with the misdiagnosis? Of yeah, a, he's he's done. He's oh, he's out. He's out. Good. He's go, out. He's go out. somewhere where they respect. Yeah, you. if that's the situation, then I don't blame him for not playing. Right. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent on his side there. Atlanta and the Jets right now are ahead of the Giants. Both, first, I don't think Chase Young gets past Atlanta. Atlanta's taking him at four if he's there. And then after that, the Jets could take Jerry Judy if they don't take Jeff Okuda, that corner out of Ohio State. So, what's a bigger need? Because they want to help. They listen. They, they want to help Sam Darnold, but they really can't defend the pass at all. They don't have a corner, even a little bit of one. They don't. Their number one corner is Nate Hairston. Well, I mean, this is what would have had Tremaine Johnson. Uh, he, he doesn't play. He's been, he's been, he's benched. He's gone. Bus. He's been essentially a free agent bust for the Jets. God. Yeah, man. I, I'm telling you, I, I want to get. I so I play to... around with stuff like that, but the Giants, I think, uh, there's a legitimate chance in my eyes the Giants, instead of getting like a number five, number six pick, they get like an eight or nine. Like I think they could win six games. Is Jerry Judy a top ten pick? Oh my God! And I'm saying he's a top ten. He's a top five pick. He's a top ten talent, but do you think he'll go in the top ten? Yes. Or do you think he'll fall? Somebody will take him. Yes. I'm not. Yeah. Jerry I, Judy is going to test through the roof at the combine and in private workouts and stuff like that. And on tape, I don't. There have been. I'll tell you this. There have been three wide receivers in the past. I'll say like 13 years or 14 years that I thought were just different wide receivers. They were going to be superstars no matter what. One of them was Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. The second one, which I kind of, I wouldn't say I whiffed, but the one I was kind of wrong on was Mike Williams. I thought Mike Williams was going to be different because it, when he came out of college. Crazy. Clemson was ridiculous. And, and Jerry Judy. Yeah. Jerry Judy is just a different animal at receiver. I'd be surprised if he fell out of the top seven. Well, look, we took we took Odell at 12, in, in 20, 13. 2014. Yeah, I think like 11 or 12. So, okay. So wide receiver in 14, Eric Flowers in 15, uh, 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 Eli Apple in 16, right. Barkley in 17. Daniel no. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones in eighteen. No, 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 no not no, Daniel no, no, no. Jones in no. eighteen. So who who was seventeen? Who do we pick in seventeen? Who was our first round draft pick in seventeen? Seventeen was. Uh, it was not Eli Apple. No, no, he was like a year or so before. Eli that. Apple was sixteen. Who was seventeen? Twenty. Oh, uh, Evan Ingram. It was Evan, Ingram. Right, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram. It was Evan Ingram That's at right. like fifteen or sixteen. Yes, I remember that because I wanted that. I wanted them so badly to draft Ruben Foster. Yes, because he was still there. Reuben Foster was still there. I mean, I mean, looking at it now, I'm really glad, glad they didn't. Glad they and Evan didn't. Ingram's a really nice tight end. Glad he, glad he didn't. All right. And then yeah, and then 18 was Barkley and 19 was Daniel. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. Listen, I'd be fine with Jace with Chase Young or Jerry Judy. 
You got needs on both sides of the ball. I mean, yeah. You did address interior defensive line, which I didn't think you needed to, but you did address it with Dexter Lawrence, and you addressed corner with DeAndre Baker. Who's, so, who's going to be a nice corner one day? He's, he's a nice ascending player. He's really raw. And he's going to take a little he bit. He is, and I I think Sam, Sam Buell is, is going to play Monday night against Dallas. I think he is, finally. So he's going to make his Gi- Giants debut after they got him in the supplementary draft. All right, so there you go. Listen, we have a nice young cornerback core. We, we took Julian Love out of Notre Dame. I, th- I think it's going to be a nice... I think, yeah, corners, I think you'll be okay. you gotta right. get. You got to lose Janoris Jenkins, but... I'm surprised he didn't get dealt. I'm surprised a lot of guys didn't I'm sure get dealt. Te- I'm sure teams didn't want him. He's on a horrible contract, and Janoris Jenkins isn't that good. Yeah, but I mean, we had a lot of other trading assets that I think teams would have at least inquired about. Ogletree. Well, it was Ogletree. a quiet, quiet deadline. Nobody did anything. Yeah. The biggest trade of the day was Aqib Tlaib went to the Dolphins. They sent him to the Night's Watch. Exactly. I mean, Jesus, that was terrible. I mean, for the Giants, it's O-line, pass rush, and a big playmaking right. receiver. That's, right. that's, what that's what their goal needs to be this offseason around Daniel Jones. That's why I thought Nate Solder was going to get dealt. Nate Solder should have got dealt. Nate Solder should have got dealt. Janoris Jenkins should have got dealt. Uh, should have got dealt. Alec Ogletree should have got dealt. I was gonna say, you know, if, I mean, if, just, just trade. I said it everything. Too. I said it too. I'm like, you know what? Solder gets dealt. He's gonna play like he did in New England for some other team, and it's gonna be just the Giants' luck. Right. Like watch him, watch him go to Cleveland, and they make like an eight game. And honestly, you got Leonard Williams. Trade one of those defensive tackles. Trade Dalvin Tomlinson. Seriously. The, why do you, how many 350-pound interior defensive linemen do you need on that roster? I, I mean, just don't get it. Out of all of them, yeah, I would keep BJ and Dexter. Dalvin was a what? Dalvin was like a what? A third-round pick? It was a second-round second pick. Second-round pick? It was all a right. second-round pick. All right, listen. So trade Dalvin Tomlinson for a fourth-round pick, and there you go. Move on. Beef up beef up the defense. The backs- And accumulate draft picks. You've got to get depth. You need players. I don't know. All right. That's the news. Big J journalist Matt Catarizzolo here on a Friday. I only brought up one topic, and we talked yeah, for like know, we a half an hour about, about it. 20 minutes. We love it. All right, coming up next, my four sure four, my four best gambling picks going into the weekend. A lot of favorites in this one. A lot of favorites. That's coming up next, the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show Yo. with Mike Guido. Hour two, good to have you back here on a Friday. The whole gang is here. Well, actually, not really, but close to the whole gang is here. Mike, Evan, Matt Catarizzolo, Big J Journalist. Good to have you back. Hey. iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. It is so good to have you in here on a Friday. All right. So every Friday at noon, I do the same thing. I tell you the four best gambling picks of the week. I call it my four sure four. I give you three NFL games and one college game. So far, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear on this. I was three and one last week. So three and one, that makes me 16. For that makes me 16 for 24, so that puts me at like 66 percent or something around that, uh, something around those lines. I think 16 percent right now, which is pretty good. 66 uh, percent. So here we go. Four sure four. Let's do it. All right, number one. Give me the Colts minus one at Pittsburgh. I, I think this is a gift. This is the Pittsburgh is terrible. 
they're awful. I don't care if it's on the road. I get that Indianapolis had a bad week offensively last week. I don't expect that to continue. They've been a real good team all year. Indianapolis, you're basically picking who wins the game. I I like Indianapolis at Pittsburgh, and I like Indianapolis at Pittsburgh actually kind of big. They win by at least a touchdown. This is a gift by the odds makers. Give me the Colts minus one on the road at Pittsburgh. I'm all in on this bet without question. This is another gift. Like I said, real good favorites bets this week. Packers minus four at the Chargers. This is, again, another one of these games where you can't pass it up. I understand the Chargers are talented, but they're one of the most disappointing teams in the entire league. They're a team I love betting against, along with Atlanta and teams of that nature. I love the Packers here. They just great fired, defense. They just fired their OC too, Ken Wisenhunt. Right. They just fired Ken Wisenhunt, so you can't expect them offensively to be going really smoothly. I, I mean, I'm all in. I'm all in on this. Packers minus four. You're going. You're giving a four point favorite to a team that's seven and one against a team that's what two and six. I mean, Jesus. Give me the Packers minus four at the Chargers. This is a no brainer. For me. Boy, that's a really disappointing. Imagine that divi- that division right now. The AFC West is not not good. It's Oakland, Denver, now the Chargers. The Chiefs, I think, are clearly the best team in that well, division. Yeah, and I mean, even, and then even, after even, that, I think it's Oakland. Yeah, and even them, like they've had their woes, right? You know, t- with the Tyreek Tyreek Hill, Mahomes, a lot of a lot of a lot of turmoil in that division. Not yeah, a lot right. To look forward to. Don't run the football great. It's it's something something's different. Yeah. All right, number three, my final NFL game. This one was tough. This one was tough because this is not a gimme game, but this I feel strongly about this. I'm gonna I like the Eagles minus five at home against the Bears. I, I like this because I know the Bears defense is great, but Chicago can't score points. And the Eagles are kind of riding a high against a great defense that they played last week on the road in the conditions against Buffalo. This is a very similar situation to me. Trubisky, Josh Allen, not sold on the quarterback. Uh, These are both defense-first teams that don't score a lot of points. The Eagles took advantage of the Bills last week. I don't see why they couldn't take advantage of the Bears. I like the Bills a little bit more than the Bears. So, Eagles minus five, I like it. Especially at the link, it's at home in Philadelphia. I I like this. Good offensive line. Carson Wentz, I think, is going to beat up this Bears defense, even if it's a little bit. I think they win by at least a touchdown. Eagles over the Bears. Those are two minus teams. Five. Those are two very surprising teams that didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. That both both of them had pretty obvious needs and could have satisfied them at the trade deadline and didn't. Like both teams, like okay, so the Bears could have made an offer to Teddy Bridgewater, but they're not going to because they don't want to move on Trubisky. The Eagles should have, the Eagles should have been on the phone with Cincinnati talking about A.J. Green. He's coming back healthy now. I think they should have made an offer to A.J. Green. Oh, plus another factor in this game as well. The Eagles are getting Deshaun Jackson back this week. Right, and up until Which this makes point, their offense even stronger. So, I'm all in. I, I like the Eagles. Minus five here against the Bears. What do you think? I like it. Yeah. All right, college game. Like I said, I hate giving you games that you don't want to watch. I hate picking games that are 30-point favorites. Like, I, 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 I can't. I can't pick a game like that. I'm never going to give you the Alabama versus the Citadel. but So I'm going to give you, possibly, 
the best game of the weekend. Give me Florida to cover the six and a half at home against Georgia. Georgia's had their has uh, has had their ups and downs. That Florida quarterback who's in for Felipe Franks is actually playing pretty well right now. They're still rolling here to an SEC matchup. I I like Florida. Again, I think Florida can win the game outright, and if they lose the game, they lose it by a field goal. I think I like Georgia's roster better, but Georgia's been pretty inconsistent. I I like Florida. Florida's been pretty consistent through the entire year. Florida's six, Georgia's eight. I think it's really weird how Georgia's favored by almost a touchdown on the road in Death Valley. So I, I really I don't know. I like Florida here to cover the six and a half at home against Georgia. Give me Florida. So there we go. That's the four shore four. 66% on the year. Colts minus one at Pittsburgh. Packers minus four at the Chargers. Eagles minus five uh, at home against the Bears. And then number six, Florida, covering the six and a half, plus six and a half at home against number eight, Georgia. So there we go. That's the four shore four. What do you think, guys? I like it. I agree. Those those are that that Pittsburgh Indianapolis game is a gift. That's a gift. That's a yeah. That's a given. And I th- and I, I do agree with the the, the Philly Chicago thing. Chicago does not put points on the board. They're just not an offensively efficient team, and they won't be until they get rid of Trubisky or do some sort of massive turnaround. Is there? I I you know what? I didn't. I couldn't find a line anywhere on Vikings Chiefs. I couldn't find a line. I couldn't find a line. I couldn't find a total. I couldn't find a spread. I couldn't find anything. I got, I'm, I'm seeing Kansas City by one in that game. So it's Kansas City minus one. I am. That's what I see. Okay. That's another one that might be tough. I would take the, I would take the Vikings in that game. If you want a bonus gamble, there you go. Vikings plus one seeing, at Kansas City. I'm seeing Vikings plus two. Vikings plus two. I'd probably still take that. Not a four sure four pick, but it's a bonus gambling pick. Go ahead. Is Mahomes starting? No, I think it's Matt Moore still. Okay. I do think it's Matt Moore. All right, then yeah. All right, there we go. That's the four sure four. Four best gambling picks of the week, 66% on the year. Eventually, you're going to have to fade me, but I, you know, I've, I said this uh, last week. I have never had a negative week. 4-0, I've had a couple 4-0s. I've had a bunch of 3-1s. And I think I've had a couple of 2-2s, two and twos, but I've never gone under. I've never gone 1-3, never gone 0-4. I've always been above 500. So if you're following my gambling picks, you're making more money than you're spending right now. All right. There we go. For sure, for all right. Let's take this call quickly before we go to break. Evan, who do we got? Actually, it's Ryan Pavich on the line. So you want to do the, you want to do it right now? No, you know what? Let's go to break. We'll go to Ryan in a little bit. Coming up next, Ryan Ryan Pavich, SB Nation, Pinstripe Alley. Get his final. Before I give him a break, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm gonna give him a couple of off weeks until probably about the winter meetings. So and get his final thoughts, World Series, off-season predictions. It's going to be a really fascinating uh, discussion with Ryan Pavich. We got him on every Friday, talk baseball with him. It's the Haystack. Go, uh, don't go anywhere. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
Good to have you back, K-Stack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Want to bring on a guy that knows a lot more about baseball than I do. Uh, Yankees writer for Pinstripe Alley, the SB Nation affiliate of the New York Yankees, Ryan Pavich. Ryan, good to talk to you again. How was your birthday last week? I'm really excited to hear about it. Uh, it was good, man. Thank you. Well, happy I, birthday, I, man. I'm really glad. All right, first off, I, I totally baseball unrelated, Ryan. Have you ever had a mayo sandwich, meaning just mayonnaise on white bread, or are you no, not psychotic? I have not. Or were you raised in a stable household that supported <laughs> you and gave you correct morals for life? <laughs> Uh, Ryan, I know your parents. I know they would never feed you a mayo sandwich. That's just cruel. That's just um, the, the logic. It's that. terrible. It's absolutely Why? terrible. Boy, oh boy. Now we're making fun of Ray over here. Um, all right, Ryan. Nationals win the World Series. Uh, every team won their road game. And I thought it was a fascinating series. It was much more entertaining than uh, than last year's. But you know my theory on this. I don't think that the Nationals were more talented than the Astros, but it was something internal that was driving them. What did you see out of the World Series, and what do you think was the driving force to how the Nationals won the World Series? It was a very peculiar World Series. I mean, you already mentioned every road game. Road team won their game. I mean, we had never in any major American sports team six road wins, let alone a full series like that. Um, I, it's peculiar for another reason as well. I mean, we've seen starters come out of the bullpen in October. It's become sort of a unique role that's picked up momentum last season. The Red Sox used it. The Nationals very much relied on it. Last two champions we've had. Um, I, I think you've seen sort of the two contrasting styles of this last decade. You saw the Kansas City method of bullpenning, get five innings, get through, and then you've seen this method of starters going as much and as early as often. Um, I, I don't know, ultimately, if you could say either one is successful compared to the other. I don't know if you could say one's more sustainable. But I think you've seen that out of this World Series, there's there's no one way to win. There's been so much adaptability and so much importance on a manager's grasp of what his team can do. And so that that's the biggest takeaway I've gotten from this World Series. Yeah, how much of a stress do you think people should put on, or how much stock you think people should put into the amount of starting pitching that was in this series, do you, do you think that was a massive contributing factor going in, or do you think it was almost kind of coincidence that this was the way it was? I think it was a significant um, part of the, of the series. I mean, Washington had essentially two relievers that they were comfortable going to at any point in the series. And when you look at it, I mean, even, even Daniel Hudson wasn't really... Um, wasn't the guy that they always wanted to go to. He was effectively their closer, but if they could get him to go, like, for the final two outs or if they could get any sort of more comfortable situation for him, they were going to do it, and they were going to use whatever starter they wanted to get that result. 
So when when we watch, uh, okay, so when we watch this World Series, I thought it was massively entertaining. Uh, you know, it was pretty much all hands on deck. And I think most of the players knew that going in. Now, Garrett Cole, it, it almost seemed like he was a little bit upset after the game. More, And it wasn't that he that really they lost the game, but it maybe kind of looked like that he wasn't used. He seemed like he was a little disappointed the way he interacted with uh, Astros executives uh, and the way he interacted with the media was very bl- it was very bland, uh, not a lot of emotion. Uh, I think everybody knows that Garrett Cole is not going to be an Astro next year, but how did you pull away from the situation of Garrett Cole after Game 7 was over? Yeah, it was almost the headline of the World Series. I mean, the team was not even an hour removed from ending their season, and Garrett Cole comes out to the media saying, I'm representing myself, I'm not a representative of the Astros. That is just an insane statement to think about and from a ace like Garrett Cole. I mean, obviously, his mind is on free agency. I don't know if it was discontent over that one particular game. I mean, he's come out with a statement afterwards. He was very um, appreciative of his experience in Houston and all that. But the the immediate reaction was so, like, I'm over this, I'm moving on. That is just like, you can't tell if that was, which one was the more genuine, which one was the more sincere reaction. It, it, it's a crazy story to think about. Yeah, it, it really is, and I, I'm really curious to see what uh, went through Garrett Cole's mind. Garrett Cole, then, that I think the day after, uh, it was yesterday, he put out this really big, heartfelt uh, goodbye to Houston. I, everybody knows that he isn't going to be an Astro next year. Um, that They don't have the money to afford him, and I don't really think that there's interest in him going back. Uh, he also did refute the fact that he wanted to go, that he definitely wanted to go play on the West Coast, because I remember Josh Reddick, who now his former teammate in Houston, said, oh, Garrett definitely wants to go out West. That's, that's, that's where he grew up. That's where he wants to go. And Garrett Cole kind of pulled that back. You know, the, he said that isn't really true. That's, there's no truth to that. Never mind that. You know, do you think that there's merit in the fact that Garrett Cole will definitely want to go play out west, or do you think he'd maybe entertain playing for a team out east, possibly like the New York Yankees? Look, Garrett Cole's agent is Scott Boris, and I put nothing past Scott Boris when it comes <laughs> to statements in the offseason. Everything is posturing, and he never wants to rule any team out for any amount until the deal is done. You don't want to rule out these teams because they can get into the bidding and they can make it a fortune for Garrett Cole. And that's just going to be the game plan until we see Garrett Cole officially sign with another team. Um, he's just going to leave every option open. So uh, this is kind of a um, you know kind of a different kind of out there question because uh, you know you're probably not going to hear this question out there too much. But let's just say, for example. Two teams that I've heard that are going to be in on Garrett Cole are the Ash, uh, are the Angels and the Yankees. They've both said that they are going to pursue him and pursue him pretty heavily. Uh, if the Yankees and the Angels both gave him, I would say, identical offers, same amount of money, same amount of years, same options in place, same everything, if, they, if the Yankees and the Angels gave him the identical offer, to, which avenue, in your opinion, would you think that he would go down? 
if it's an identical offer, I mean, the Yankees are closer to contention than the Angels are. Obviously, you'd love to play with guys like Mike Trout and uh, Shohei Otani, but um, if the Angels, Angels are in a tough position. I mean, you don't know what they need to get back into the postseason. Um, and even if you take Garrett Cole out of the Astros rotation and plunk him into a division rival, the Angels are still fighting an uphill battle for another year or two um, to get that AL West division title. Um, it'll be interesting to see who ultimately comes out as legitimate uh, contenders for Cole. Um, I've also heard the Phillies will be very interested in him. And you, you look at their situation with Girardi coming in as manager, the team needs pitching. Their biggest area of need, they should very much be interested um, I think you could see a big three-way race between those teams. Yeah, I, I think you could, too. It's going to be a massive bidding war. Uh, so let's stray away from free agency a little bit. Let's dive into your specialty. Let's dive into the Yankees for uh, for a minute. So I don't think it's a surprise that the Yankees declined the option on Edwin Encarnacion, uh, but you also wrote an article for Pinstripe Alley that they should try to bring him back anyway. Yeah, tell us your thought process on Edwin Encarnacion and 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 kind of what makes you come to that conclusion? Yeah, sure. I mean, when you look at Encarnacion, he won't he won't be a priority for the Yankees this offseason. They made their smart choice in declining that option. They were never going to pay him that money. But it's worth keeping tabs on him because the amount of suitors he should have in this offseason shouldn't be much. I mean, you automatically limit him to American League teams because he's going to play DH most of the time, if not all the time. And then if you look at any contenders who could use his bat, I mean, the options are very limited. You talk about maybe the Rays, um, the Red Sox, if J.D. Martinez opts out, and I don't know if he's going to, and I doubt he's going to. Um, the, the landing spots are limited, and so that's naturally going to suppress his value on the market. Um, I think if you start looking at, you know, a one, maybe two-year deal, $10 million or under, that's going to be in the Yankees' ballpark, and they might be interested in bringing him back at that rate. Yeah, um, yeah. I've actually never thought of it that way. It's it's very, his market, like, I expect there to be suitors, but you're right, his market definitely could be limited if he's just a DH. You're cutting, ha- you're cutting out half the league at that point, Ryan. Mm-hmm. So, hey. interesting the way that you, that, uh, that you bring that up. So, uh, let's... Yeah, and I mean, the, the Yankees, the Yankees don't have, like, a total need in there. But they have guys like Miguel Andujar, Clint Frazier, that are defensively challenged. They're going to want to give them major league at-bats, potentially, but, I mean, there's still a whole offseason to play out. You don't know what options on the trade market are going to come up and whether those pieces are going to move at all. And if things start getting shuffled around, that's when I think that Encarnacion really comes back into play for the Yankees. Now, Ryan, a, uh, a Bleacher Report article came out this morning regarding Aroldis Chapman, and this is according to John Heyman of the MLB Network. Uh, it says that Chapman prefers to remain a Yankee, and he will try to pursue the extension as he thinks about the $15 million player option for 2020. But to me, it seems like he's going to opt out and probably want a bigger deal. If Kimbrell can get three years, $45 million, I'm, I would assume Chapman would want three years for $60 million at least, probably more. So, I mean, would you be okay with saving that money and putting it all towards starting pitching and just roll with Zach Britton next year as your closer, or do you want to extend Aroldis Chapman? Personally, I 
personally, I, I'd be fine with the Yankees moving on. I mean, I, I wasn't a fan of signing him from the beginning. Um, statistically, obviously, he's been a fine pitcher. He's worked out for them, and if he opted out, they'd be more than happy with who they got out of Chapman. Um, I think they have more than enough pieces to absorb the loss. Um, the Yankees' arm system in the, in the minor leagues is fantastic. They, they may not have the starting pitching depth that they want, or anywhere close to that, really, but the amount of pitchers that they could throw into that bullpen role and have significant success at it is fairly large, and that's not even like bringing into consideration whether or not they bring back a Dallin Batantis on a short-term deal or something like that. They have the, the depth in system already to absorb that loss, and I, I think if Chapman opts out, I mean, he, he should command a fair deal, just as from his... Um, from his body of work, he's earned enough, and so many teams need start uh, need relief pitching that they'll throw money at him. And I don't think the Yankees would be wise to get into that. Now, I'm actually pretty curious to get your thoughts on this as well, and you just kind of alluded to it, but I am curious about this. If Araldis Chapman were to test the market, and and part of me thinks that an extension could uh, could get done. But it, let's say it doesn't. He hits free agency. We saw what happened with Craig Kimbrell uh, last year in free agency. He didn't sign until, what, June, July. And he was one of the top closers in, in Major League Baseball, if not the top closer uh, in the league after last year. I, 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 do, is there at least a little bit of concern for Araldis Chapman that it could happen to him as well? There's concern if the Yankees um, choose to... Um, doesn't hit him for the one-year option. I think it would be around, like, $18 million. Um, that, that's something that he would probably decline, and then he would get uh, drastic compensation tagged to him. And that was what really weighed down Kimbrell's market. Um, I think also his his demands early on in free agency were high. I think Kimbrell was looking for around triple digits, and teams just weren't going to pay that for a reliever once he started getting more reasonable within uh, within still top-tier pitching market deals over the last couple of years. Then teams started moving the needle on him, but there was still the draft pick compensation to deal with. Um, it's a concern. It's definitely a concern. But I, I think that Chapman could earn more. I, I think he, he deserves, based on his performance, a better look than Kimbrell did. I think he's held up much better, and that he's already started to develop his slider. His reliance on the fastball has toned down a tad bit. He's a he's a viable option for several years down the road, so you don't have to worry about breaking down like many other relief options are. So uh, let's. I want to get into some of the uh, some of the other free agents that are going to be uh, some of the other Yankee free agents. Uh, so. Outside of CC Sabathia, we're looking at seven guys that hit free agency. Uh, one of the guys we just mentioned, Edwin Encarnacion, uh, that includes Dellen Batances, Brett Gardner, Didi Gregorius, um, Austin Romine, Cameron Maben, and Corey Gearin. So, uh, of those guys, who do you think the Yankees would be most interested in bringing back, and who would be? most likely to be brought back, and it doesn't just have to be one guy. What's your thought on their guys that they could possibly bring back? Yeah, I think I, I would be 
shocked if Brett Gardner wasn't back on the Yankees for another one-year deal. I mean, you look at their outfield situation, they're going to have Aaron Hicks on the IL for probably half the season, um, and then you have to have outfield depth there. They have some minor league pieces. They have Talkman. They have Frazier. But you want a guy like that in the locker room. You want Gardner sort of give you that presence, especially with Sabathia leaving. And he could still obviously play. Um, we won't know power-wise whether we're getting the juice balls or not. So, you know, you may not be able to tap him for 25 home runs again, but I think you should be able to more than competently have him out there as a defensive replacement, have him soak up innings for you. So I, I would say he's the biggest lock to come back. Um, Didi Degoris is the interesting one. Um, the Yankees could go either way with him, honestly, um, depending on his um, contract negotiations, what he's looking for personally. Um, the Yankees will have to make a choice between um, are they actually in on these top-tier pitching markets? Are they in on Cole? Are they going to devote $35, $40 million potentially there? And if they do, does that mean that money from Gregorius gets cut? to go along with the Sabathia salary that they can then throw at Cole? Or do they want to go the depth route that they went the last year? Do they want to bring Didi back? Do they want to have that super infield option with LeMayu rotating around that they originally intended to have and didn't really set up because he had to play so consistently, but they could potentially go back in on that this year. Yeah, I, I, the one that I'm really interested about also is Dylan Batances. Do you think that what happens with Araldis Chapman, uh, possibly, if they just if they lose him, if they can't get an extension done, does that maybe heighten their urgency to get a deal done with Dylan Batances, who barely pitched, I think he pitched, what, one inning last year he came back? He barely pitched at all last year. But he could be a guy, in my opinion, that could maybe lighten the uh, lighten the worry of losing a guy like Araldis Chapman. Do you think that that has some sort of correlation? Yeah, I think the Yankees should be interested in bringing him back no matter what. Um, I think that Dellum has been a key guy. He's been capable of going in the late innings. They're capable of shifting to the middle relief option. Um, the Yankees need guys like that because the, when you look at their bullpen makeup, they have a lot of guys that they could trust for one inning. They don't have guys who can soak multiple innings. And while Batances can't really do that himself, if you stack enough guys like that, that's been their sort of method, that's how they're going to have success in the bullpen. Batances fits the mold. He's been in the system already. He should be interested in coming back, and the Yankees should be more than interested in him. If you talk about removing Chapman from the role, though, does that incentivize them enough to give him a multi-year deal? I don't think so. I think they've been wary of chances in that regards, and that'll be the question of what the free agent market gives them. If if enough teams are desperate and there's a lot of bullpen help that needs to be gotten, um, the Yankees may be beaten out no matter what. Okay, Ryan, before I let you go, I want to play a little game with you. It's going to be really quick. Uh, so I, okay. want one, I, I want like one-word answers here. So uh, I want to play a game of true or false. I'm going to throw a rumor at you, and from what you can tell me, I want you to tell you whether you think that rumor's true or whether it's false. So here we go. So, All right, so let's give this a shot. Uh, Yankees are definitely going to be heavy pursuers of, uh, pursuers of Garrett Cole. True or false? False. 
Yankees are going to be in the market for a trade involving Francisco Lindor, true or false? I would say that's true. Wow. Those are opposite answers, I would think. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Uh, The Yankees will be suitors for both national free agents, Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon. False. Both false. I would say Strasburg, yes, and Rendon, no. Uh, yeah. If the Yankees miss out on Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg in the market, they'll be in the market for somebody like Madison Bumgarner. True or false? Mm. That's a true. All right. So we got a true on Lindor and a true on Madison Bumgarner based on Ryan's knowledge. That's, that's can, interesting can I give, to me. Can I give my reasoning on that? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go. Okay. So... Uh, the way you were, they'll be interested in Francisco Lindor. Absolutely, they've been hyper aggressive on the trade and the trade market the last couple of years. Um, whether they ultimately have the pieces to get that done, I think teams like the Dodgers could outbid them. But whether or not other teams get involved, the Yankees should be interested in making that move. They have enough pieces independent of other suitors to get it done, and it's been their mo to build from position of offense and defense before pitching. I, I think they should definitely be interested. Yeah. That, that, that is going to be interesting. That package is going to have to be massive. All right. Ryan, good talking to you, bud. This was a lot of fun. I, I actually got to do that true or false <laughs> thing with him a little bit more because I, I saw some really interesting stuff. Garrett Cole, false. Francisco Lindor, true. I, Something that I honestly I thought it was going to be the opposite. That's crazy to me. But all right, Ryan I mean, Pavich, pinch they'll be in, they'll be in. But I just I don't see them going all the way. Mm-hmm. Ryan Pavich, Pinstripe Alley, SB Nation. Ryan, good talking to you, bud. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you, guys. Ryan Pavich, uh, he's like my favorite guest all week, just because he gives that crazy good insight of say, what's going on in baseball. It's out crazy. Of, out of anybody we've talked to, I think I like I I love I trust Ryan's information more than more than most Garrett, more than most. Yeah. Garrett Cole in the Phillies makes too much sense. That makes way too disgusts much sense. Disgusts me, but makes way too much sense. Be the Bryce Harper <clears throat> revenge tour. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right. Uh let's go to the news. Big J journalist Matt Catarazzolo here on a Friday. Let's try to do more than one topic this time. We went on a tangent. We talked I know, about we talked about the Giants for 15 minutes. All right, all right, all right. So, got one on the Cowboys or the Ravens? <laughs> so we Don't got, bring up uh, the Ravens. Evan will never stop talking. <laughs> so, uh, Josh Gordon got placed on the IR and was later released by the Patriots earlier this week. Yeah. So, he passed an exit physical with the Patriots, so he is healthy. So whoever claims him, and they dropped him to waivers, so whoever claims him off waivers would inherit the final nine weeks of his contract, which he is due $1.072 million. So he is also scheduled to be a free agent in 2020. So Gordon said that he's looking to go to a stable and supportive environment. I don't think he was saying that New England wasn't stable and supportive because they did respect him when when he walked away from football and took a little bit of time off and he came back. Uh, he was performing for a little bit, then he got hurt. So I, I do want to see Josh Gordon get picked up by a team and not only be an asset, but also kind of... I want to see him not blossom because he is he has been in the league now for like, wow, God, like what, six, seven years now yeah, at this right. point? Yeah. So I want to see him become... I want to see him grow stronger, like not only as a human being, because he is one of the people in the NFL I feel the most bad for. You know, the dude's got yeah. demons that he's just been fighting for so long. Yeah, so let's, let's dive into this. Okay, so... The first suitor that I was thinking of was New Orleans. 
because I think they could use a number two receiver. Michael Thomas, Josh Gordon, pair him with Drew Brees. Okay. I think he could also go to Green Bay. That would be that's a great spot I was, as well. That's what I was thinking. How about this? You're going to think this is crazy. How about Cleveland? What if he back goes to back to Cleveland? Now, the reason think, I'm saying... You think they need another receiver? I'm not saying they need another receiver. I think it could benefit Josh Gordon. Here's why. If Josh Gordon goes to Cleveland, and Cleveland is this dysfunctional mess, right? He's going to really struggle in Cleveland mentally at certain points, I bet. That's what I was thinking, because I'm thinking, like, stable, sta- stable, stable environment. You go to the most unstable well, environment in football right now. Well, think about it. They wouldn't bring him back unless they were going to support him in that fashion. They know that that's going to be part of the deal. And I trust John Dorsey. But okay, if jo- Josh Gordon has a, has a, this is an out for him. If he goes to Cleveland... And he is the stable guy in Cleveland after everything that he's gone through in his career. That resurrects his value. He can strike big on that. Because if he's in the same receiving core as Odell, and Odell's making more noise than Josh Gordon is, Josh Gordon's going to be viewed as the... He's rehabilitated. He you can, you can now rely on him. He's not part of the problem. Josh Gordon's value is resurrected. So essentially what you're saying is in order for Josh Gordon's image and value to be restored fully, you want him to go to the most problematic roster in the NFL with a rookie head coach that's plummeting in value, that's that's 2 and 6. And, and you expect him to be and the man and thrive. No, I don't expect him to be the the man. I expect. I don't mean the I don't mean the man like the go to receiver number one option. I mean like the man like you want him just to just take all that, bask in it, immerse himself in it, and then come out clean on the other side as like the good child. I guess you want to you want to say right. That's exactly what I'm I don't, saying. What, what do you think about that, Ev? I don't really know what to make of that take. Josh Josh Gordon back to Cleveland. No, but did you hear like the whole reasoning for it? All right, great. So no, no, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I, I, I do see your I, point. I don't, but I just don't think it would happen. I, I don't think it would happen either. I would just rather. But I think it's an interesting. It is interesting. Look, but I think I think you're overthinking it. I would just rather him go. It's the same I, team that traded him. I, but I would listen. I would, I would just take a simpler approach and I would rather see him just go to a receiver needy team like like a green like yeah like a green bay or like a new orleans honestly before the san francisco got emmanuel sanders I was like dude go go get josh gordon I look at throw, right. throw stupid money at josh gordon I look at five teams Let, I look at five teams who could use him in this waiver order the jets obviously the giants I think could use him I see giants wouldn't the giants would we got rid of odell because uh, Gettleman thought he was a locker room headache and, wanted, and there was a culture problem. You want to bring in another guy that has a similar, probably more to bullshit to his Tennessee past? Tennessee is interesting. Tennessee, Jacksonville. Tennessee doesn't have a quarterback. Tennessee needs to figure out their quarterback situation before they just go out snatching wide receivers. And first of all, they draft, they drafted A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. They have Corey Davis, who's coming into his own. They've got Adam Humphreys. Tajay they, Sharp. Tajay Sharp. They still got the Maybe Walker. someone like Josh Gordon could take a chance on you. You're not, I mean, no, I know, but I don't. I, they're not. Well, Tennessee's I, in, got weapons. But yeah, would, in my head, they're not a receiver needy team. 
because they have good Jackson, pieces. Jacksonville. Jacksonville, absolutely. Jacksonville could use them. Maybe Detroit? No. Detroit. I, Galladay and Marvin Jones. Galladay, are, Marvin it's Jones, it's and Danny Amendola, I yeah, think, are, are good a, enough. That's a good trio. I think that's, that's, that's one of the better trios in football. How about Minnesota? I know well, we're thinking. Got know, and Diggs. Well, Thielen's hurt. Yes, Thielen's been hurt. They get. They have Thielen and Diggs. Josh Doxson too. Who's their next guy after Thielen and Josh? Diggs? Josh Doxson. Who's just coming off the injury? Yeah. Um. Their next best guy after that's Laquan Treadwell. Is he still? I thought they dropped him. He's still there. Wow. They brought him back wow. because they have such. They have two great receivers up top, but they lack so much depth at the position. I, pick, I picked him to outperform Stefan Diggs in his rookie year, and he didn't. And he caught one ball I all mean, year. This, what about the Steelers? I mean, what, the Steelers could take Josh Gordon, maybe, and pair him up with Juju Smith-Schuster and James Washington. I know the Steelers draft. I well, wouldn't hate that. Again, there's, the there's definitely too. going to be suitors. I just think that Cleveland would be. The Steelers are right there. That's an 12. interesting fit because, the, like, outside of Odell and Jarvis Landry, they could use. A legit number three, regardless. Well, and, and, and Njoku is hurt now too. And Joku's right. hurt, so they could Baker Mayfield could use the extra receiver, and in in essence, you're basically saying, okay, if you can go back to where you were when you were most troubled, ooh, and I gotta come out of it the same way you are now. Now you've proven to the league that we can rely on. I you. got a good one. You ready? Seattle. They're okay. what, number 28 in the order? That's Waver two order? big physical receivers you, with Gordon you, and DK Metcalf. You line him opposite DK Metcalf. And have, Me- and have Tyler Lockett in have the Tyler slot. Lockett that's in the that's slot. a legit receiving You court. tell me Russell Wilson throwing goal line fades to DK Metcalf and Josh Gordon, and who's going to break that up? Yeah, that's that's. You tell dangerous. me a, a better goal line fade wide receiving duo. How about Dallas? Shut up. I hate <laughs> no, that. no, really. I hate that no, really. so much. No, well, they really. got Cooper. They got Amari Gallup. Cooper, Gallup, Randall Gallup, Cobb. Gallup, Cobb, that's, that's and now Josh Gordon. Because after those three guys, they got nothing at receiver. Cooper, Gallup, Cobb. Uh, Who's their fourth guy? To Jason Witten, maybe. No, but they're, I mean, like, wide receiver. Oh. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, you put him in a team. Cedric Wilson? I, I mean, don't know. Listen, man, like, not a lot of people have a, a competent, m- m- more or less, even name-worthy right, name fourth option. But look at, look at San Francisco right now. They've got four legit NFL receivers. Legitimate. Emmanuel Sanders, Marquise Goodwin, Dante Pettis, and um, who's Debo, Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel. There you go. The, and, those and are they four have, legitimate and, yeah. NFL wide receivers. Okay, and they also have a top three, two, three tight end right now. Maybe right. the number one tight exactly. end in football. They've got weapon, and they run the football as good as any team in the league. They run the they're football. Pro- they're they great. Good, they have good pass catching running backs. I don't think that their need before they got Emmanuel. I don't before they got Emmanuel Sanders. He, that was my number one destination for Josh Gordon. But now I could name. We just we just named what five, six more teams that could clearly use him more. I would just like to see him go to another. Wide receiver, heavy team. Okay, right. everyone, stop. We need to go to another topic. <laughs> All right, so let's let's make a drastic shift over to basketball. Okay. So uh, Wednesday night was very interesting, particularly in the Minnesota Timberwolves and the 76ers matchup. Oh boy. Uh, within with a, I don't know what insinuated it, or what uh, started the whole thing, but benches cleared. Uh, at, and the, the catalysts for the brawl were Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, later, Ben Simmons was involved. Coaches were involved. Referees, everything. It was a big mess. Uh, so this morning it came out. Uh, Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns have both been suspended two games apiece. And okay. Ben Simmons will receive no fine. 
even I'm actually at, really surprised that Ben me, Simmons didn't me. get anything. Now, Ben, here's the thing I know about Ben Simmons in that situation. Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns are really, really good friends. They play Xbox together. Like they, they are really good friends. Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns. So when I think, like when people tell me that Ben Simmons was going to be the peacemaker, Ben Simmons was in a chokehold with Carl Anthony Towns, and that I think was I the think, big. That I was... think like, dude, calm down. You're not like I'm not letting you get up so you can keep fighting. Calm down. You know oh, what I mean? So you think he was trying to be I, like, like just stay down? Like, yeah, I think, it? yeah, I think he was think choking he, him not to hurt him. I think he was choking him to say to basically, like, neutralize, tell, neutralize him, neutralize something? him, and say, listen, cat, you've got to calm down. Okay, you're not getting up and. Keep I fu- think there's a better way good. to do that than putting him in a stranglehold. Well, yeah, there probably is, but the in the heat of the, 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 the moment, I know in the about of Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns' relationship is they're, they're like they're not just. Like acquaintances on the court, like that they're, they're friends outside of basketball, right? Yeah. So I think that there's actually merit to when people say that Ben Simmons was actually trying to keep the peace. I believe him. I really do believe I, him. I, I, it's a bad look because he's believe, strangling yeah, him like Brock Lesnar. But I, I believe that only because Ben Simmons is only because of Ben Simmons' track record. Like Embiid is a different story. Ben, Embiid's loud. He's confrontational. He likes being at the center of attention. He likes, you know, being that guy. So I do. I when I, you know, if you if you woke up this morning, I, I had the same reaction. You wake up and you see that video of them beating the living hell out of each other, and you're like, oh, it's Joel Embiid. Okay. That's not surprising. Like, listen, if it was Nikola Jokic, I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? But I was like, oh, it's Embiid. All right, well, what's he up big to now? Big, pasty white guy like yeah, that, exactly. Nikola Jokic. Listen, big listen, eighth grader. Listen, Maddie, <laughs> Maddie, this, this gave me an idea, you know, for later on today. Oh, oh I know exactly oh, where you're going, boy. Ev. Okay. Oh, boy. All right, oh, yeah, boy. I got you. Going to be an interesting Friday athlete death match. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I, I believe it. I do believe it. Just because Ben Simmons had him in a freaking half Nelson doesn't mean that I don't think he was trying to take him down. Two games is, is, is not a lot. Two games is less is shorter than what I thought. I thought they would have both at least get five. Yeah, maybe. They, they were. Th- it wasn't they like. They were throwing it, hands. Yeah, it wasn't like a shove and like they got separated and they're like, all right, all right, all right. No, they were throwing hands and then were. It, it caused a bench clearing brawl. No, yeah, no, they were tossing fists. It was really bad. Yeah, and then Philly won by 20. So. Boy, oh boy. All right, finally. So I want to go back to uh, this kind of thing that we're talking about with San Francisco. So uh, Colin Coward said this morning on his show that there there was an it factor with Tom Brady. You know, and he says that there's an it factor with Jimmy Garoppolo and how he plays with so much confidence after only having so many okay. career starts. Now, now Jimmy Garoppolo is has the third best record in his first 18 starts behind Ben Roethlisberger and. Someone else. I forgot who's in first, but he's 17 and one in his first 18 starts. So, do you think Jimmy G is the truth? Even even though he's not, I wouldn't say he's the reason. I see he's 16 and two. I okay, think so 16 and two. He's 16 and two in his first 18 starts. Okay. So, and all those two losses came last year. Both of those losses came last year in San Francisco. Right before they got Nick Bosa and and really went on a run this year. Right. <sighs> so, how, well, I guess my question is like, how much? of a percentage of the 49ers' success is Jimmy Garoppolo responsible for it? That's a really good question because, I, I, I mean... Because let, let, let's, let, let's round out the 49ers' success pie right now. Okay. I would say a good 45% of it is Kyle Shanahan's play calling. So I would go, yeah. with, I would go with 45% of it is Kyle Shanahan's play calling. 
I would say another 40% is the defense. Then I would say the remaining 15, yeah, would probably be Garoppolo. So here's, okay, so I'll, ah, I'll, mm, mm. I'll build okay. a pie. Hold on. So I would say 10% Garoppolo, 5% running backs, 5% offensive line. Okay. All right, so here's here's where I'd go here. So 45 defense, 45 Shanahan. I'm going to simplify it a little bit. Okay. I'm going to give... I think I might have been giving Shanahan too much. I'm going to give... No, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think I'm going to give 40% to, Ch- to Kyle Shanahan. He's been phenomenal. I'm gonna give forty percent to John Lynch because I think he's built an incredible roster. I, I was gonna, I was gonna broaden the category of, of Shanahan to John Lynch, like ownership. I was gonna do that with, right. with the way they rounded out this roster and built it, kind of rebuilt it through the draft and things like that. But Kyle Shanahan's really just an offensive guru, and I think that he is in large part the reason for the success of this team. But go on. Right. So I would say I would probably give, and this is gonna sound disrespectful, but it really isn't. I would say fifteen percent defense, and I'd give Jimmy Garoppolo five. You say 15 for the defense? 15% for defense. Wow. So front, But again, it's it's kind of, the majority of it is Kyle Shanahan's coaching, I think, is absolutely a primary reason there. Right. John Lynch building this roster mm-hmm. is kind of tied into everything else. Because I think John Lynch, he drafted in the right spots, he spent money in the right spots. He, I mean, they have the most dominant front six or front seven in the entire they, they NFL. Addre- they addressed needs consistently through the draft, which I think was very smart. Right, they and built, it's the, and it's the model for how you said it earlier in the show. Like they are, they are the model. They are what teams should be. Looking well, yeah, for. they've built an incredible offensive line, and or, they, organically, and they, organically too. And they've built an offensive line that doesn't fall apart with injury. Their two backup tackles are doing fine jobs right. as backup tackles. So, they've built depth. They've built great starters who are stars. So, that has a lot to do with that. I think pure player responsibility without being put in the situation, I'll say that talent and pure skill of defensive players is 15%. And I would say pure talent and skill of Jimmy Garoppolo is 5%. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing this year... Jimmy G is not having a phenomenal year. He's got nine touchdowns no, and seven it's, picks. It's, it's, it's average to below average, actually. 13, right. Well, 13 now after yesterday. But right, okay. But the, Th- 13 touchdowns and seven picks. But the the talent that is on the roster right now is all organic. It's all it's all drafted. It's all homegrown. The only players that they really have acquired through trades were, in the past three, four years, D Sher- Sherman, D Ford, Tevin Coleman, Garoppolo, and Emmanuel Sanders. Everyone else, Bosa, Buckner, Debo Samuel. Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead, McGlinchey, all through the draft. Right. So everything was organically... No, they've done a great job. Absolutely, and that's why I think that they probably right now have the most stable, smartest ownership in football. They probably do. It's, it's getting... I mean, if you take out New England, games. then yeah, I would say so, yes. Right, okay. So yeah, I would I would say that, that that rounds out the San Francisco 49ers kind of success pie chart if we want to address percentages and things like that, which I right. think is helpful because there's it's not it's not like the narrative this season with New England where it's like, oh, that defense is historic, you know? Yeah. You know, Breeze being carried for the first time like in his whole career. They still have Belichick, blah, blah, blah. But this time, they're, for, the, for, the, for the Niners, which is why I have so much confidence in them, there are so many reasons why they are successful. Right. And it and it's in all aspects. So it's it's both sides of the football 
coaching, play calling, ownership, everything. Right. It's, no, a, it's, 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 it's a very, very, very safe team, and you should feel very good if, you, if you're in the Bay Area. Agreed. All right. Uh, that's the news. Big J journalist Matt Catarazzolo here on a Friday. All right. So let's go to break. Coming up next, top of hour number three. Matt said it before. The 49ers yesterday proved to me that they are the model of what teams should be looking for on how to build their roster. That's coming up next. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, the, the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Hour number three, we're a little delayed, but that's okay, because it's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Good to have you in, Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer, Big J journalist, Matt Catarazzolo here with us as well. Uh, as well, good to have you in, hour number three, we've had a busy show today, four short four, 66% of the year. I think that was my favorite interview I've ever done with Ryan Pavich, he was fantastic, uh, but Let's waste no time. Let's get into this. Successful teams in the NFL all have similar things in common. From top to bottom, they have really strong core foundational pieces in normally the same spots. You know, a stable front office and a brilliant head coach are obvious. Those are the big things. Guys that draft well, bring good culture, uh, scheme up good game plans, all that stuff, that's a given. Then, I've always said that your roster needs more often than not to be, they need to be strong in three places. Quarterback, offensive line, pass rushers. You need to be able to control the game with your quarterback. You need to be able to protect that quarterback. And you have to get after the other team's quarterback. Whenever I watch the San Francisco 49ers, I think to myself, they're the example. They're the example in the league. Teams should model what they do after what the Niners have done. The more I watch, the more I realize that, the, that they built this roster perfectly. It's not a completely finished product, but it, it's, it's close. I look at this Niners roster, and I'm thinking that teams need to take notes on what they're doing. This is the team in the NFL that has the actual blueprint. Most people think it's New England, but I, I told you last week that they're the anomaly. Nobody can do what New England does. Nobody's got Belichick. Nobody's got Brady. Nobody can do what New England does. The 49ers are obtainable. With smart coaching, smart people up top, you could be the Niners. You could absolutely be the Niners. John Lynch is a fantastic GM who has drafted well and in the right areas. The entire defensive line is first-round picks. Uh, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, D. Ford, Solomon Thomas. Uh, they're all first-rounders. All of them. They also spent a recent first-rounder on Mike McGlinchey, their starting right tackle, and he's excellent. He's awesome. The Niners have used premium picks on premium positions and have used the rest of the assets to build around them. You know, have, have we noticed that life gets a lot easier for franchises when they draft well? You hit on your first rounder in the right spot, and then the next round you hit on that wide receiver, or you hit on that corner, or you hit on that safety, or whatever. The 49ers have done that multiple years in a row, and this roster 
is stacked with star players and tons of depth at every position. Think about it. They have four legit running backs, four legit receivers, a great tight end, great O-line, even with both tackles hurt, best front seven in the league. They have a capable secondary. And this is all led by a great GM, a coach that more often than not outsmarts you, and a skilled, confident quarterback. This is the foundation. This is the blueprint. The Niners have the blueprint figured out. If you could find any example in the league on how to build a successful winning football team, San Francisco is that example. And they keep proving it week after week. They do. Defensive line, quarterback, coach, offensive line, ancillary pieces, speed, size, whatever, they've got to figure it out. Figure out what the Niners do, because that's obtainable here. And build your franchise in a similar way. All right, let's go to this. I'm old enough to remember when Kyler Murray got drafted number one overall, and most people absolutely hated it. They didn't even give Josh Rosen a chance. They're only drafting him because the handsome guy wants him and all that stuff. They they screwed Josh Rosen. Oh, how insightful. The truth is, when the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury, it was game over for Josh Rosen, and rightfully so. Not because he was a bad quarterback, but because Cliff had a specific plan, and you have to run with it. You have to run with it as soon as you hire him. Now the Cardinals are 3-5-1. and one. They're 3-5-1 and one on the year. I see people all the time saying, It's not working! Should have drafted Bosa and kept Rosen in your face. That's what should have happened. The, even though the Cardinals have already matched their win total from last year in half the time, and they've been in almost every game. Arizona has progressively gotten better week by week. Have we not noticed? Now, I talk about young quarterbacks all the time because I'm fascinated with the progression. I love seeing the development and the cycle of quarterbacks in the NFL. It's fun to watch for me. It's fascinating. This is how I know the system is working in Arizona. Have we noticed or have we realized that Kyler Murray isn't making very many mistakes? And it isn't like Cliff is protecting him. This, this is an air raid offense. It requires a lot of open space, a lot of big passing plays. It, it requires a lot of movement and a lot of responsibility from the quarterback. Cliff Kingsbury's not protecting this kid at all. Kyler is executing this as well as you can for a rookie. Young quarterbacks, and we've known this, young quarterbacks are notorious for making unnecessary mistakes. And this, it lasts for a while. Quarterbacks that make unnecessary mistakes, and all of them do, it lasts for years. It takes three years to get out of that mistake. He's completing 64% of his passes. Right. Every young quarterback has it. Sam Darnold tries to make the play when it isn't there. Baker Mayfield leads the league in picks. Josh Allen still can't consistently complete 60% of his throws. Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. All of them. (laughs) Jesus Christ, Matt. All of them. Kyler Murray is the only one I watch where that isn't a problem. He may not throw a million touchdowns, but he doesn't make bad decisions, 
and he doesn't turn the ball over. That's impressive to me. The offense Cliff Kingsbury designed for Kyler Murray is creative, it's electric, it calls for both of Kyler's arm and his legs, it rewards elusiveness and speed. It's tailor-made for Kyler Murray and his skill set, and it's showing. Kyler isn't making the mistakes that normal rookies make. He looks comfortable. He looks confident in himself. He looks like he knows when to give up on a play. He's got things that most rookies don't right now. It's awareness. What about this isn't working? What about it isn't working? Cliff and Kyler are doing exactly what we thought it would do if it worked. Because they're in, is it because they're in last place in a loaded division? I mean, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Niners in their division. Give me a break. Because uh, Is it because they're not a playoff team out of the gate? I, I got news for you. They wouldn't, be, uh, they wouldn't be if they took Nick Bosa instead of Josh Rosen uh, instead, and Josh Rosen was still their quarterback. It still wouldn't be. Kyler Murray was uh, Kyler Murray's their quarterback, and they're better because of it. D- what's the problem here? The Cardinals made the right move by letting Cliff Kingsbury take the player that perfectly fit what his plan was. God, it's so easy, guys. Just because they're not seven and one doesn't mean it's not working. You can clearly see the improvement, and you can clearly see the growth and maturity in Kyler Murray. It's so easy to see. And I understand if most people don't watch a lot of Arizona Cardinals football. I watch every game. I do. I do my best to watch every game. And from what I've seen out of Kyler Murray, he makes good throws. For his size, he's got a phenomenal arm. He's electric. I think he's honestly the fastest running quarterback in the NFL. I mean, this is just a... A slick, electric player in a slick, electric offense. It makes more sense in the world. They've already matched their win total from last year in half the time. I mean, what are we looking for, guys? What are we looking for? The Cardinals were not supposed to be good this year. Is that what you were expecting? They're going to finish last in their division. They're going to have a top 10, top 12, whatever draft pick. That's fine. Let them improve the roster even more. But give me a break on this whole it isn't working thing. If you're watching the Arizona Cardinals, you know for a fact it is still, it is completely working. Completely working. Okay. Coming up next, we make picks for Sunday's games uh, in the NFL. And on top of that, end of the show, Friday Athlete Deathmatch. That's coming up next. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Good to have you back. I think the fact that I grabbed my headset a little bit later pisses Matt off. Kind of makes me feel like I'm better than everybody else in his opinion. I mean, you are a pretty arrogant dude. Wow. Thanks. Am I really that arrogant? <laughs> Honest question: Am I arrogant? Especially that is that is that silence (laughs) means yes. Especially when you have those untucked shirts. Oh yeah, when I wear my untucked shirts, I get the untucked shirts. I get when I wear my untucked shirts, I get sassy. 
but no comes with the attitude. No, right. But really am I am I really am I really, Matt? Am I arrogant? Nah. I'm arrogant. You're arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh Evan let's make picks. Here we go. Uh bunch of games on Sunday. Uh no Falcons, no Bengals, no Rams, no Saints this week. All on a bye. So, Evan, here we go. No Rams, no Saints is really plummeting me fantasy-wise. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that, Cooper. Uh, yeah, I bet everybody's having a No Kamara, no Thomas, no Woods, no Cooks, no Cup, no Gurley, no Goff, no Breeze. Jesus. All right, you guys are ready? All my Bengals are gone, too. <laughs> and two good defenses. Yeah. Okay. Houston Texans versus the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. Uh, Texans favored by one and a half points here. Monica going with the Texans. What do you guys got? I like Houston. I like Houston, but I like Houston by the skin of their teeth. This is why I didn't pick it uh, as a four-shore four, because I know it's technically a pick game, but the problem is that they're playing in London. Jacksonville's played in London before. They're kind of used to this. So I think Jacksonville could end up winning this game. I just think Houston's too good. When they protect Deshaun Watson, they're extremely hard to beat. Close game. 20 to 17 over the Jaguars in London. Houston wins. I agree. I give this slight advantage to Houston. I do think it'll be close. I think it'll be a one possession game. You know, Jacksonville's defense not is not what it was two years ago, but still good. But that front that front seven is still good. You know, Josh Allen is tied with Nick Bosa in for uh, leading rookies in sacks at seven. So I mean, he's doing really good. They still have Yannick Ngakwe. Still got Calais Campbell. Campbell. So it's, if that Houston offensive line can hold up and protect Deshaun Watson and give him time, I think, I think I like uh, I like Houston. I like Houston twenty-one to fourteen. I like that. <laughs> it's my roll, thought process. Roll on the Texans. I'm taking the Texans too. Uh, next game: Buffalo Bills against the Washington Redskins in Buffalo. Bills favored by nine and a half here. And Monica is taking the Bills. Yeah, I, I got to take the Bills. The Redskins are not winning this game against this defense in Buffalo, in the conditions. I mean, it, uh, I, I, I didn't look at the weather channel, but I'm assuming it's going to be freezing in Buffalo. It's going to be really tough. I think they're, the Redskins, I think, are starting Dwayne Haskins this week, uh, throwing him into the fire against Buffalo. I almost took this as a four-shore four pick. But I, I don't have confidence in the Bills to blow out anybody. It'll be an extremely low-scoring game in the conditions. Give me 13-7 over the Redskins. I do also agree this will be a low-scoring game because, I mean, Buffalo, yeah, Buffalo is 5-2, five, 5-3, five and and something like that. 5-2 yeah, five five after two. they lost to the Eagles, yeah. Okay, yeah, they do not have a great offense at all. Josh Allen's a bottom-tier quarterback. Their defense however is extraordinary this season but I do think that Washington's just lost this season. It's the general consensus of football so I, I do see I, I see the Bills pulling this one out 10-3 uh, 10-3 Yeah well, I'll agree man. I'm going to take the Bills too. I, coming back uh, at home, still at home, looking for a bounce back win. The Washington's just awful. They're a mess. Give me the Bills at home Next game, the Tennessee Titans travel on the road to face Cal and the Carolina Panthers. Panthers are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, Monica, it's the Titans in this game. I like Cal. You're not I like, Cal. I like Cal. I, I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers. And I, like, There's going to be another one of those lower-scoring, not-a-ton-of-offense. Uh, I do expect, however, Christian McCaffrey to have a freaking day. 
He's going to have a monster game in this one. Wouldn't be surprised if he was combined for almost 300 yards scrimmage. I, I Look, I, I'm just... Tennessee scares me. Because I Ryan Tannehill is better than Marcus Mariota, but not by much. So uh, they have a good defense. Their offensive line is underperformed. Uh, give me Carolina, lower scoring game, uh, 21-16 over the Titans. I would like to pick the... I want to pick the Panthers just because I think they want to bounce back from getting decimated by the Niners. Yeah. Uh, I do agree that McCaffrey's going to spaz. No, I'm going to go I'm going to go with the Panthers bouncing back. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Titans, especially with you know their late QB change. Uh, so I'm going to say Panthers 21 to 18. It'll be close, but 21 to 18. This is one of the toughest games to pick. I I will take the Panthers, but the Titans are I think Tannehill's doing his job. He's managing the game well. The Titans have a of a really good defense. The defense is strong. They're eleventh. Yeah, don't don't gamble on this game at all. Stay away from it. They're ele- Titans are eleventh in rush and stopping the run. Thir- ninth in yards allowed. Fourth in points allowed. Uh, this game is a toss up to me. I'll take the Panthers because I believe in the bounce back after getting blown out by the 49ers last week. I'll take the Panthers, but barely. Next game: Chicago Bears at the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia favored by five in this one. What do you guys got? Monica is taking the. Uh, Chicago Bears here. Yeah, this was a four-shore four pick of mine. I like the Eagles minus five. I think they win by at least a touchdown at home. Uh, look, they were able to go into Buffalo in the conditions against that defense and put up a 31 spot and shut and pretty much shut down Josh Allen and that Bills offense. So I, I think I like the Bills a little bit more than the Bears. I am definitely going to take. Um, I'm definitely going to take the Eagles here, and I think it's going to be Eagles by a good amount here at the link. I'll take the Eagles 31-20 over the Bears. Uh, yeah, uh, Deshaun Jackson's coming back. Uh, I think that's massive. That's, that is very big. Uh, the listen, the Bears have no offensive identity whatsoever. They can't get anything going. They don't look like they're ever in any sort of rhythm. Right. There's no plan. Uh, Trubisky is clearly not their guy. They won't admit that they whiffed on him in the draft. Uh, I think it's going to be a major focus in them going into the offseason. If they, if, if they do end up missing the playoffs this season, is addressing a, a possible change of quarterback. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to roll with, with Philly here. Uh, 28-10, Philly. I will Big take, win. I will pick the Eagles here. But I will say I, I the Bears lost two tough ones at home. It got, there is a lot of pressure on Nagy, a lot of pressure on Trubisky. I expect the Bears to go out there on defense and and on offense and try and put up the best game plan possible and play. And this is a must win for the Bears. It really is. With the really, Packers, Trubi- ready? Trubisky throws three picks, Mike. Over yeah, you're right yeah. on that. Against I mean, that Eagles secondary, though. Yep. Yeah, I know. Wow. Well, that's Pack- an indictment. Mm. The Packers are the Packers are red hot. They're playing great. The Vikings have played really well. The Lions are still in it. This is a must win for the Bears after losing two tough ones at home. But until I see it, I will take the Philadelphia Eagles. Plus, with the Eagles, I need to see consistency. You just got your big win over the Bills after losing two in a row and getting embarrassed by the Cowboys. I need to see consistency from the Eagles now. It's time for the Eagles to get on a run and get become consistent. So I will pick the Eagles. Next game, uh, this is the tough one. Vikings uh, in terms of the line. Vikings at the Chiefs. Chiefs, I'm seeing favored by a point and a half. But obviously, all around, it's been even, no line. 
So it's just, just a tough one in terms of the uh, betting odds here. So Vikings-Chiefs. I think I think the Vikings get the win here. The Vikings are playing really good football lately, and that's because of Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is playing great football. Um, look, that Chiefs defense is not enough to hold on. The, I think the Vikings defense is better than the Packer defense, and Matt Moore, even though he didn't play terrible, he's got a bigger challenge for him this week. I think it's going to be a tough matchup here for the Chiefs. They're going to struggle without Mahomes, at least for these first two weeks. Uh, give me Minnesota. It'll be relatively close. I don't think the Vikings blow them out, but I think it will be. I'll tell. Uh, I'll go 26-21 to 21 over the Chiefs. Uh, it will be close. No Mahomes. Uh, Adam Thielen's got that hamstring. It's going to be questionable. Uh, I think that'll really limit Minnesota's attack considering that he's been on an absolute tear ever since Kirk Cousins said sorry to him. Um, Minnesota's defense is doing really, really well. Uh, I think they'll be able to do a good job of suppressing uh, some, of, some, of, some of Kansas City's weapons. Um, okay, yeah, I'm going to say 21-20 Chiefs. Wow, mm -hmm. okay. 21-20 Chiefs. Ma, I could totally see the Vikings, uh, the Chiefs winning this game. Monica has taken the Vikings. I could totally see the Chiefs winning this game because I, I, I think I like what I see from Matt Moore. Minnesota going on the road. I still have questions about Cousins in these kind of big game environments in these kind of in this kind of atmosphere. Mm, okay. So I, but I will take the Vikings here. I will take the Vikings here because I do think just just by looking at the team and defensively they are more talented. I think defensively they'll make a couple of plays against against this Chiefs offense. But it'll be close. I can see why the line is very, very iffy on this game. But I will take the Vikings. All right. Jets at the Dolphins. Jets favored by three. Monica is taking the Dolphins to get their first win of the season. Oh, Cheeks Bowl. Go. The Cheeks Bowl part the two. Cheeks Bowl, man. Holy crow. Uh, one win combined. One and six Jets. 0 oh and seven Miami Dolphins. Uh, I'm going to say soon to be 0 oh and eight Miami Dolphins. I will take the Jets. But I'm not, I'm not going to take the Jets by a ton. I think Sam Darnold bounces back against this Miami defense. Uh, like I said, the Dolphins are historically bad. I just, I, I do think that it'll be kind of close. I don't think the Jets blow them out of the water, but I do think the Jets win this game. Lower scoring, uh, I am going to say 20-13 to 13 Jets over the Dolphins in Miami. I think that Le'Veon Bell is going to have his best game of the season, especially oh, yeah? after all of this trade deadline nonsense with, you know, uh, the video he posted, you know, the be patient video. Yeah, I right. Think, I think he's looking to instead, and especially after after all the hokum and, and noise around uh, Jamal Adams and things like that, I think what the Jets want to do is reestablish some faith in a very dwindling fan base right now, a very untrusting fan base right now. Sure. So I think the Jets are looking to make a statement here and the perfect opportunity to do it against the Dolphins. Uh, I think it's going to be close as well. I say 24, 24 to 9 Jets. I'll take the Jets too. It's, this is a scary game to pick, but I'll take the Jets. Sam Darnold struggled a lot in his two games against the Dolphins last year, but I think after two really tough games, he bounces back. Adam Gase knows the Dolphins, of course, really well. I think they will start, they will start feeding the ball to Le'Veon Bell and really get him going. Because it's time, it's time to put this offense around Le'Veon Bell and help out Donald, and that's how to do it. You run Le'Veon, you run Powell, and you set up play action to help out Donald and take the pressure off of him as he's struggling. I will take the Jets in this game. 
Colts at the Steelers. Colts favored by one. This is also one of your four-star fours. Mike's taking the Colts. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take the Colts here. I, I think, that, like I said, I think this was a gift by the odds makers. I don't know what they were thinking here. A one-point favorite for the Indianapolis Colts. They've been good all year, uh, and Pittsburgh's been bad all year. They, they, I think they really screwed this one up. Take this bet and take it pretty seriously. Um, I think Jacoby Brissett has a game in this one against that Steeler secondary. There's a lot of speed at receiver for the Colts. Uh, like I said, I think there's. This is just one of those games that was handed to us, gift wrapped, put a bow on top. 100% taking the Indianapolis Colts on the road here. Uh, give me the Colts outscoring the Steelers. I'll say 27-17 over Pittsburgh. I like Indianapolis as well. Uh, James Conner did not practice today. Uh, it does not look like he's going to play in that game. T.Y. Hilton is also listed out with a with a uh, a three to Frank, uh, Frank Reich said it was a, a calf injury. It's going to sideline him for at least three to four weeks. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Pittsburgh is on a downturn right now. It's not going to be a good latter half of the season for them. I say Brissett does a really good job. I say Marlon Mack has a really good day. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to start Eric Ebron. I think I'm going to start Eric Ebron if he's healthy and playing over Jimmy Graham in one of my All fantasy right. leagues. All right. Yeah, give me the Colts. I'll take the Colts here in this one, too. I just think two, the Colts are just better. Yeah, uh, I, I don't even know the score, I'm just, but they're, they're, I, I just, I'm taking the Colts. Yeah. I'll say here. We'll all agree on the Colts. Lions at the Raiders. Raiders favored by two. Monica is taking the Detroit Lions. Oh, here we go. John Gruden is in the house today. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> I'm taking my Oakland Raiders, man. This Derek Carr is going to have a massive game against this Lions secondary. I'm telling you right now, man. Derek Carr could play. This Josh Jacobs is going to have a monster game. I think you get out of the group. Oh, I was about to say, you just transitioned <laughs> really. You're really like, out of the group. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I think, is going to have a massive day. Uh, Detroit's going to struggle running the football. They won't be able to control the clock. Uh, I think right now is where we're going to start seeing Detroit kind of take a little bit of a dip. And I think the Raiders to their credit, are actually decent this year. They are not a terrible football team. Give me the Oakland Raiders. I'll, I'll take them 24-20 over Detroit this weekend. I like Detroit, actually. I like what I've been seeing from Stafford lately. He's got 300 yards and four... He's got 300-plus yards and four touchdowns in his last three games. Uh, I mean, no carry on Johnson. That's going to be... That's that's tough to, to kind of deal with. So, uh, But yeah, I, I do think this is going to be a close game. I say... 28, no, 27-24 Detroit. Slight edge. This is a tough one. I'll, I'll take the Raiders. I think they dropped 30 on the Lions at home. I'll say around 30-27-ish. It'll be a high-scoring game. I'll take the Raiders at home. Just I just take too much too much Josh Jacobs, too much Derek Carr in this offense against the Lions traveling, traveling to Oakland. I'll take the Raiders. Seahawks at home to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Seattle favored by five and a half. Monica has the Seattle Seahawks. I think this game will be closer than what most people think. I am going to take Seattle, but I'm just, I'm going to take Seattle pretty close. I think it's going to be a higher scoring game. Russell Wilson's going to have a phenomenal day uh, against his Tampa Bay defense. But I do think that Tampa Bay on certain days and games they're not supposed to win, they put up a lot of points. This is exactly that kind of a game for me. Uh, higher scoring game, 34-31. I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks over Ooh. Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm also going to take Seattle. 
Uh, I'm gonna say... Who's at home? Seattle. Uh, Seattle's Seattle at home. At home. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna take Seattle... 35-27. Yeah, I'll take the Seahawks too. I think I do think it's gonna be a high-scoring game, uh, but I will take Seattle as they win their second in a row. So I'll take the Seahawks in this one too at home. All right, must win for the Cleveland Browns. Dup three and a half point favorites at the Denver Broncos. Browns Broncos. This is the game that I'm really struggling with. I know Joe, there's no Joe Flacco. They're starting Brandon Allen at quarterback. I, they got no tape on Brandon Allen, so I wouldn't be surprised if Denver shocks us a little bit. Uh, I will t- lightly take the Browns. I, I'm not 100% confident in this, but I will take the Browns on the road. I like the home field advantage for Denver, but they I, I mean, truthfully, Cleveland is so much more talented. They've got pass rushers. They've got crazy wide receivers. Denver's on the downturn. I... I, I I really do like Cleveland. I don't think they blow them out, but I do think it'll be kind of tough for Denver to get out of this game. I'll say 24-23, Cleveland beats Denver. Wow, you're making it closer than I thought. I'm making um, it really close. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Cleveland's got to get it together sooner or later, and this uh, this later half of their schedule, they can they really can go on a run with the exception of uh, – I think they play Baltimore and New they, England. They play Baltimore, Buffalo, and the Cardinals on the road. That's like their three remaining really tough games that they that they got. Okay, I think they can go on a little bit of a run starting here with Denver. I think I think this is one game where we're going to see the Browns play like the Browns we expected. So I okay. would say I would say like twenty seven seventeen Browns. Monica's taking the Denver Broncos in this one. I'll take the Cleveland Browns. They need this game badly. This, you know, this will be a, this is a good. If they get a win here, then they could maybe go on a run. Like like Matt said, their, their schedule is a little, you know, very winnable. Schedule gets a lot easier second gets, half of the year. It, it gets very winnable. They got three tough. Three of those games are really tough, but the, overall their schedule is pretty winnable. They need to get they need to get this game in the worst way. I think they do get it. I'll take the Cleveland Browns. Green Bay Packers at the LA Chargers. Green Bay favored by three and a half. Yeah, this is a gift here. Okay, when I when I took the bet, it was at minus four, so I guess I, I lost out on that one. But uh, give me the Packers. I, I have no faith in the Chargers. It's in Los Angeles. It's in that little baby stadium. I mean, Green Bay is really good, good defense. Aaron Rodgers is better than Phillip Rivers. Uh, I, I just trust Green Bay, and I think that if it's a, a three-and-a-half-point spread or a four-point spread is a little disrespectful. It really is to, to Green Bay. I think Green Bay beats uh, beats the Chargers big here in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm going to take – I will take the Packers 34-20 to 20 over the Chargers. Two touchdowns. The Packers, yeah, Packers here by a landslide. Uh, Chargers want probably the most disappointing team so far this Them season. Them in Atlanta, yeah. Packers are just rolling, and they have been. Aaron Rodgers is playing an MVP, playing like an MVP caliber quarterback this season. Uh, yeah, I take Packers. Uh, I take Packers 30-21. Yeah, Monica is taking the Green Bay Packers here. I'm taking the Packers too. They're just, they're just, they're just playing great. They're defensively, they're playing great. The Chargers, hey, they got a good win against the Bears last week. That's, you know, that's a good bounce back win after a tough, two tough losses. But they, I, Green Bay is just better. They're just, they're just better. I'll take the Packers on the road. All right, next up, Sunday Night Football. Let's get the music going. 
This is a big one. Ravens against the Patriots in Baltimore. Marquise Brown expected to be back. Jimmy Smith expected to be back. It's in Baltimore. Patriots are favored by three. What do we got? Monica's taking the Patriots. You know, uh, people are going to say, oh, wow, minus three. That's really short for the Patriots. I, I, I Listen, this is going to be a good football game. The Ravens always play the Patriots well, and the Patriots have fits against mobile quarterbacks that can go off script. So they struggled with guys like, you know, they struggled with guys like, uh, like Colin Kaepernick. They struggle with guys like Cam Newton. They they struggle with guys like that. Lamar Jackson is that type of quarterback. I think the Ravens could win this game. I'm going to kind of wimp out and say the Patriots are going to take it, but it'll be the, by the skin of their teeth. I think Brady struggles for the most part, and I think that New England gets by by the skin of their teeth. Give, it, uh, give me the Patriots 20-17 to 17 over the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, and it is going to be by a hair, possibly game-winning field goal. I was just, I was just going to say, I could see. So, Belichick has actually also struggled against Harbaugh, and yeah, and mobile quarterbacks. I think it's going to be a very defensive game. Uh, you know, the Baltimore's acquisition of Mar- Marcus Peters is only going to be harder on this kind of depleted Patriots wide receiving court. Uh, I say Patriots. I say Patriots 17-14 over the Ravens. Well scoring. In a very, very close game. Yeah, and let me tell you this, Evan. Before you start your little synopsis, <laughs> if, if, if John Harbaugh was smart, and this is what I think they should do, a lot of disguised pass runs. And what I mean by that is, Play action stuff like that. Not even, but don't run a lot of designed runs for Lamar Jackson. Run a lot of pass-looking plays that are actually designed runs. Because the Patriots struggle against scrambling quarterbacks that they're hard to plan against. So let Lamar Jackson run a lot of fake draws, a lot of scramble plays, a lot of read option. Let Lamar Jackson run around in this game, and then I think you'd be in in a good position to win the game. You guys going with the Patriots? Monica's going with the Patriots? I'll take the Patriots, too. Uh, I just think Belichick, like I said, it it will be tough to game, I guess, Lamar Jackson. It really will be strength. It it really will be interesting to see how – how Belichick game plans against Lamar Jackson, how the Ravens game plan around it and make and get Lamar going. Uh, I think the Ravens will look at the Browns game, look at what the Browns did. They ran the football really well last weekend. What's the Ravens' biggest strength on offense? Running the football. I think they really need to attack the Patriots' uh, run, run defense, but you know the Patriots will make adjustments from last week. I will take Belichick and the Patriots and Brady. The Ravens have no pass rush. Matthew Judon is really their only pass rusher. That's it. They got no pass rush. They got no pass rush after that. I think Brady might have a big day, uh, but, but it will be. But it will be tough with Marcus Peters, and if they are getting Jimmy Smith back, Marlon Humphrey might be the defensive player of the year. But Belichick coaching against Lamar Jackson, finding ways to stop him, finding ways to hold hold him to to limit him in the running game, maybe forcing him to win the game in the pocket. And the pit Tom Brady against this Ravens defense with little with a very little pass rush other than Matthew Judon. I think it's going to be tough. It'll be a hard fought game. A hard fought game. I think the Ravens play well, just not enough to win. I'll say the Patriots 
26 to 20. Oh, we got Ray's, Ray's pick. Ray's going Ravens, with Ravens. Uh, Ravens 17 13 over the Patriots. Well, Ray, Ray should stay for this because here we go. Cowboys, Giants, Monday Night Football at the Meadowlands. The Cowboys are favored by seven. I will take the Cowboys. Monica, Monica will take the Cowboys. Who are you two going with, Giants fan, Cowboy fan? Uh, Giant. Uh, all right, so Cowboys by seven on Monday Night Football. I think this game is not even going to be close. I, I, I really do think Dallas blows them out. Uh, this is one of those games where Dallas off the bye, rookie quarterback. It, it's going to be real tough for the Giants, even though it's at MetLife. Uh, give me the Cowboys and give me the Cowboys big. I think they drop a 30-burger on uh, on the Giants. I'm going to say 31-17 to 17 over the Giants. You guys are really going to make me say it, aren't you? You're taking the Giants, aren't you? No. Nope. <laughs> You're taking the Cowboys? You know... The last time, last season, when they because they're wearing their color rush uniforms, the white the white throwback color rush uniforms. Those are dope. They are amazing. But are when we played on Monday night last year against the Eagles, we got decimated, thirty-one to seven. Bad omen. Uh, I don't like the direction we're heading. Dallas is on the rise. The Giants are on the fall. I'm going to take them. Over the Giants. Them. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not giving a score. We're just going to lose. Ray, Cowboys-Giants, Monday night. 38. Give me a break, Ray. Give him a break. 38-17. That's Ray's pick. Give us any kind of credibility. 38. 38 at home. I had 31. (sighs) That's not. Come on. That's 31 I, listen, 38 is closer to 40, and I don't know. No. <laughs> no. No. All right. No. Those are our picks for week nine in the NFL. Again, no Falcons, no Bengals, no Rams, no Saints. Uh, so the they're taste, all on a bye. Let the bed taste All right, in so my mouth. here we go. Uh, let's go to the news. Big J journalist Matt Catarizzolo here on a Friday. I almost don't even want to do the news after that. <laughs> I bet you don't. Terrible way to end that segment. Anyway, so... We were talking about this uh, during commercial. So uh, the NFL came out. NFL Shop released their top ten highest selling, top ten selling jerseys for the 2019 season. Mike tried to get all of them before we came back, and he got six. I got six. You got six. So, so Mike named you named Brady, Mahomes, Khalil Mack, Daniel Jones, Zeke, and Dak. There all right, are four so, left. All right. So here we go. So it's all right. So it's Brady, Dak, Zeke. Patrick Mahomes, Khalil Mack, Daniel Jones. Those are those are on the list. Yes, you have four left. Uh, One of them I'm really surprised you haven't said yet. Juju Smith-Schuster. He's number ten. He's got three left. Saquon Barkley. Number six. Two left. One of them I don't know if you're going to get because I, I don't know why. Like you wouldn't think he would be a highest selling jersey this year. Nick Bosa. No. Jimmy Garoppolo. No. Not on the 49ers. Drew Brees. That's one. Who's, who's the other? Who's the one? Like, this is the one that I, that I don't think you're going to get. You might get it, but it might take you a few tries. Can you tell me... I can't tell you anything. You can't give me any hint no. at all? No. No. It'll give it away. 
I promise you. Even his position, it'll give it away. Really? Yep. Probably. Jalen Ramsey. Nope. Okay, I'll give you the, okay offense. That's he's an okay. He's an offensive guy. I'll give you that offense. Le'Veon Bell. Nope. NFC. I'll, I'll narrow it down even more. Offensive guy, NFC. Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> no. <laughs> you said maybe not now. Yeah. I yeah. just I figured it was a shot in the dark. <laughs> like no. You're on, you're on kind of the right track though. I, I guess. I guess. Um, okay. Christian McCaffrey. No. Um, oh, okay, here. This Julio is, Jones. No, this is another hint that might narrow it down more, but it's still broad enough to make it hard, okay? First-year head coach. First-year head coach. Don't don't look anything up. No, 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 no. No, I, I'm getting the deathmatch stuff ready. Okay, first-year head coach. Okay, so he plays for a first-year head coach. In the NFC, on offense. Aaron Rodgers? Yep. Really? Aaron Rodgers. So, okay, in order. So now these are in order. Number one, Brady. Two, Mahomes. Three, Zeke. Four, Khalil Mack. Uh, five, Dak. Six, Barkley. Seven, Breeze. Eight, Rodgers. Nine, Daniel Jones. Ten, Juju Smith-Schuster. So wait, who was number one? Tom Brady. Brady? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. That was fun. You did good. You did good. I was proud of you. Not bad. Were my hints Okay. Yes, my they hint, were fine. My hints were good. I, right? I still couldn't figure it out, so they were still good hints. Yeah. Okay. See, I told you that's what hints are supposed to be. Yeah. Still not enough. Make to it a little easier, well. but not enough for me to get it right away. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So, a cool little landmark that happened over uh, last week is that uh, DeAndre Hopkins became the third youngest player to reach 8,000 career uh, receiving yards, only behind. Can you name the two? So it's 8,000 receiving yards. The youngest to reach 8,000. The third youngest to reach 8,000 receiving yards. So who are the two that were the second and first youngest? Randy Moss. That's the first one. Who's the second one? Terrell Owens. Nope. Antonio Brown. Nope. Uh, Still playing? Yep. He's still in the league. Yep. That That's, a, that's an enormous hint. Odell. No. <laughs> no. no, I'm serious. The fact that he's still in the league is a really big hint. Larry Fitzgerald. Yep. There it is. Okay. So it's Randy, Larry Fitz, DeAndre Hopkins. Very okay. interesting. Yeah, wow. Nug- really? I'm, I'm telling you right now, DeAndre Hopkins is just, he's ridiculous. I think he's the best wide receiver in football. Doing, doing that with the the Brock Osweilers and the Brandon Whedons and the Fitzpatricks oh, yeah. and the Kyle Hortons. And you got to keep in mind, I mean, I know when this was towards the tail end of his career, but DeAndre Hopkins started his career as the number two to Andre Johnson. Yeah. So he's got a he, – he was behind Andre Johnson first. That's impressive to that's, me. That's like Julio and Roddy White. That's right. Yeah, same situation. All right, little final, little final nugget. Uh, so uh, the Lakers get back one of their core pieces. Kyle Kuzma will be back tonight after missing – Oh, he will. First four games of the season, but uh, – Head coach Frank Vogel said that he'll be limited to 15, 20, 15 to 20 minutes of action. Yeah, that's probably right. Ease okay. him back. I, I like that. I think it'll give uh, the Lakers a little bit of an Don't be surprised if he gets dynamic. the ball a lot, though. If he gets the ball a lot in those 15, right, 20 shoot minutes. It. Shoot it. 10, he'll get, shoot it 10, 15 times. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's gonna. I, I expect him to take a get good loose. amount of shots. Yeah, get loose. I, I expect do. LeBron to feed him quite a bit. You've got to get him going. Even if you do limit him, you got to get him going a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. That, I, yeah, I, I people think I think people are underestimating how big of an addition this is getting Kyle Kuzma back for the Lakers. 
it just pushes their it pushes their depth further. It gives them more much needed scoring and much needed shooting. Look, because you take I mean, you take Anthony Davis off that off that roster, and it, that very well could happen because he's and it's the worst. It's worse injured, than last yeah, year. It's LeBron and a bunch of dudes that are worse than what he had last year. Kentavious Caldwell Pope, Danny Rondo, Green. Danny Green, and Avery Bradley. And JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee. Good luck with that. And Dwight Howard, uh-huh. of all people. Dwight How- Dwight Howard actually has played decent basketball yeah. for them so far this year. He's playing better basketball than this he, year with than- the Lakers than his first time with the <laughs> Lakers. Crazy. All right, uh, that's the news. Big J journalist Matt Catarizzolo here on a Friday. Being that it is Friday... Evan, here we go. It is Friday uh, Athlete Deathmatch. Best part of any Friday. All right. So, Evan, this is a big Friday Athlete Deathmatch. Why? Because we kind of already had one. Here we go. Carl Anthony Towns versus Joel Embiid. All right. So, Joel Embiid is 7 foot 250, and Carl Anthony Towns is 7 foot 248. They are literally the same, the same size, same everything. Carl Anthony Towns is listed as two pounds lighter, and that's it. I still take. I think I'd still take Cat. Cat looks like he can fight. Still take Towns. I still take Towns. Looks like he can fight. I think I would take Towns too. I take Towns. I don't I w- know why. I would take Towns. I, I I I don't know why, man. Yeah, there's something about him that he's just he's thicker. Yeah. He looks meaner. I would not, I would take I would Carl not Anthony mess Towns. With Carl Anthony Towns. Let's let's stick with that game for a second because we had another guy that kind of got involved and we were talking about it. Ben Simmons. Versus Carl Anthony Towns. Towns still. Is, yeah, ben Simmons I, is smaller I, than Embiid. I would take Towns. Yeah, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, just so we could get a scope on it. Ben Simmons is 6'10", 230. I would, I would still take Towns. Yeah, I don't think Towns would... I don't think Towns would beat Embiid, but lose to Ben Simmons. Because I would probably take Embiid over Simmons. Yeah, absolutely. So, I would take Carl Anthony Towns. LaMarcus Aldridge versus Evika Zubak. Oh, okay. So Lamarcus Aldridge is 6'11", 260. How old is Lamarcus Aldridge, though? And Evika Zubots. Evika Zubots is. Give me a second. 7'1", 240. Zubots is 22. Lamarcus Aldridge is 34. Yeah. I don't know. I would take Zubots. Yeah. I think Zubots. I would take Zubots. Younger and better shape. Yeah. I'd take him. DeMar DeRozan versus Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard, absolutely. DeMar DeRozan is 6'7", 220. And Kawhi, I think, is bigger than that. Kawhi is... Kawhi Leonard is 6'7", 230. So actually not by much. Kawhi Leonard also can't yeah, feel... Kawhi, would, Kawhi Leonard also can't feel pain. I would so. say, Yeah, I would take Kawhi. I would take Kawhi by a little, but I would take Kawhi. Kawhi would just take a... Plus, DeMar DeRozan's got a much thinner frame. Yeah, Kawhi's, Kawhi's thicker. Kawhi would also just take a punch at the chin and just do his laugh and then pummel DeRozan into the court. I think people forget how good DeMar DeRozan is. DeMar DeRozan is really good. He's the all-time leader... In franchise points for the Raptors. Yeah, I know. He's he's great. DeMar DeRozan's great. That's a team that's had Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady. Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh for years. So, yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Okay, next up, Jarrell Casey versus Gerald McCoy. Ooh, that's oh, a good one. There you go. Jarrell Casey's a big boy, man. All right, so. Jarrell Jer- Casey's a big dude. Jarrell Casey 
is 61305. That's East 61? 61305. Wow. Jerome Casey. Good and Lord. who was the other one? Gerald, Ger- Gerald, Gerald McCoy. McCoy. Gerald McCoy. He's probably, I'd say he's taller. 6'4", 300. Yeah. So Casey's heavier, but McCoy's taller. I take, I take, uh, I take Casey. I think I take Jarrell uh, Casey. I actually disagree. I think I would take McCoy. Wow. I think I would take Gerald McCoy. McCoy's 31. Casey's 29. He's about to turn 30. I would take McCoy. Okay, I got one. I got one. Ready? Trent Williams or Tyron Smith? <laughs> oh, God. Trent. Basically the same exact player. Trent Williams is 6'5", 320, silverback. And Tyron Smith, who I think is the best left tackle in football. 6'5", 320. They are literally, they're listed as the same height, same weight. Nice job. Mm. Um, I might go Tyron Smith. I don't don't know, man. I I don't know. I love Trent Williams, but I might go Tyron. They're probably the number one and two left. That's crazy. Out of everyone in the NFL, they are probably the most similar. Same position, same skills. Same build. So yeah, if you, if you draft a kid that's six five three twenty, he's guaranteed to be a good left tackle. Ah, uh, I think I would have to take my guy. Tyron Smith is just a beast. I, I would, yeah, I think I might take Tyron. Tyron Smith, Smith is just an absolute animal. Even though Trent Williams, Trent Williams shast not be effed with. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying shast. <laughs> Oh, I got another one. Okay. Oh, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey? <laughs> oh, I th- I would be really hard pressed to not take Kittle. Kittle six four two fifty, and Travis. Travis is no small fry. Travis Kelsey six five two sixty. He's actually heavier. You know, I think Travis Kelsey was on The Bachelor. So I am going to take George Kittle. George Kittle also loves wrestling, so he George Kittle knows likes some moves. wrestling. Definitely George knows Kittle's, some moves. Kittle's twenty six. Kelsey's thirty. I, I would take Kittle. I'd Kid, take Kittle, Kittle I think, is just more of like this wild animal, crazy guy. guy He's right? just a, like that's a what he bite, is. Take a bite out of your neck. I know he would. He would. He would eat a person. Did you see? Did you see last night the post game interview? Uh, they did. Uh, they. they um, Steve Smith was like, "What do you? What do you got to say to these Niner fans in front of you, George?" And he just goes, "Let's go!" And you, like, that, yeah. you, you talk about a guy that would want that. Can you, you smell? You talk about what a, the Niners are cooking. Ah! Can you tell me a guy like, that makes okay. you want to run through a wall more than George Kittle? George Kittle. I don't oh, know. God, what a teammate! I think he's endorsed by Skittles. <laughs> I think I wouldn't he is. doubt it. What a guy! All right, next so likable. Mark Andrews versus Dante Hightower. Mark Andrews. The Ravens tight end is 6'5", 256. Dante Hightower's got to be And bigger. Dante Hightower 6'3", 260, I is 6'3", 260. I would probably have to take Dante Hightower. I'd take Dante Hightower. Hitting is his, would, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a heavy hitter, man. Taking people out for is his job. Yeah, I, I I would go Hightower. Yeah. Ready for some Giants. Cowboys, Red Ellison versus Leighton Vander Esch. <laughs> All right, Rhett Ellison, just to just to give him a chance here, Rhett Ellison is 6'5", 255. He's a big guy. But Leighton Vander Esch, Leighton Vander Esch is 6'4", 256. I'm sorry. I, 
Leighton Van Der Esch, Leighton. his neck is bigger than Red Ellison's body. Leighton Van Der Esch's shoulders, I think, could alone could beat up Red Ellison. All right, ready? I got, I got, I got another Giants Cowboys one. Ready? Go for it. Randall Cobb versus just Saquon Barkley's legs. <laughs> All right, so Randall Cobb is 5'10", 192, and Saquon Barkley's legs <laughs> are massive. Really? Are they got, Saquon got, Barkley is 5'11", 233. He's a thick guy. His legs have to be, what, 40 pounds each? Just his thighs? So his legs have to be half of that. His legs got to be a good 120. I would take Randall Cobb. Ah. That's a full person against a pair of legs. Nah. Yeah, nah. I, with shoes on? I don't know, man. With shoes? <laughs> with shoes on? I, I don't know. Just cleat him to death. Yeah, just squeeze him. All right. What's next? Ready for some Duke versus Duke? R.J. Barrett against Cam Reddish. All right. R.J. Barrett. I don't care the measurements. I'm taking RJ. RJ. RJ is a dog. RJ Barrett is 6'6", 202, and Cam Reddish. I think Cam is taller, no? Cam Reddish is 6'8", 208. Yeah. Cam's bigger, but I would take RJ. I'd take RJ. RJ's I would take dog. RJ. I think the Knicks are going to be very happy with RJ I'm Barrett. I'm loving what I'm seeing so far, man. I am loving what I'm seeing. And they're going to be very happy with RJ Barrett. Next one. Russell Russell Westbrook against Kyrie Irving. Oh, I, I'll oh, take Westbrook. I, I, I take, think I'd have to take, I take Ru- Westbrook. I, I take think Westbrook. I would have to take Westbrook. Take Russell Westbrook. Westbrook is 6'3", 200. And Kyrie Irving, I think, is around the same size. 6'2", 195. I, I, would take, I would take Russ. Also, I just... Russ is just Russ an is animal. Russ is just a... Yeah. Rabbit... Beast. <laughs> Kyrie just would start crying, maybe. I love Kyrie, but he's not a fighter. More rookies. Jarrett Culver against Tyler Hero. Jarrett Culver, rookie for the T-Wolves, is 6'7", 195. And Tyler Hero, or in my opinion, the second version of Clay Thompson, literally is shooting the lights out six in Miami. 6'5", 200. That's tough because I was in love with Jarrett Culver out of the draft. I think I'd have to take Tyler Hero. I might I have know. to take Hero. I, I don't even know, to be honest. I don't know. Boy wonder Tyler Hero. Okay. What are we rolling with? Oh. I'm surprised you haven't given me Zion versus anybody. <laughs> We've done that, though. Have we? Yeah. 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 We've yeah. done Zion a lot. Cleveland Farrell against Josh Allen. Oh, okay. Defensive so, end Josh Allen, by the way. Yes, so Cleveland Farrell Raiders is 6'4", 265, and he's a big 6'4", 255. Cleveland Farrell is a lot bigger than I thought he was. And Josh Allen is 6'5", 262. I feel like Allen's quicker, too. I feel like Allen, Allen, Allen's like a speedy kind of agility Allen, type guy. Allen is quicker. Farrell is just a power guy. And Farrell is just this massive yeah. beast of a guy. Uh-huh. I would take Farrell, I think. I think I would take Farrell, too. Yeah, I'd probably take I Farrell. am a huge Cleveland Farrell guy. Love Ed, him. Ed Oliver against Christian Wilkins. Oh, that's a good one. Ed Oliver Ooh. is 6'1", 287, 
And Christian Wilkins. Christian Wilkins is a big boy. Let's see. Christian Wilkins is 6'4", 315. Good guy. He's got like 30 pounds on him. He's got 30 pounds on him and 3 inches. Yeah, I'd take Wilkins. I think I'd have to take Wilkins. Even though Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver is a beast. He's an animal. Jake Matthews. Oh, the left tackle for the Falcons. Okay. Against Taylor Lewan. Oh, Taylor Lewan's huge, dude. Taylor Lewan is 6'7", 309. And Jake Matthews is 6'5", 309. I would take Luan. I'd I take Luan also. Luan, you'd be hard pressed for me to pick any offensive lineman over Taylor Luan. Except for Tyron Smith, maybe. Shaq Barrett against Tack McKinley. Tack McKinley's pretty big, man. Shaq Barrett is 6'2, 250. And Tackerist McKinley is 6'2, 265. So they're similarly. They're similar. Tomorrow is Tack McKinley's birthday. They're both young guys. Tack McKinley's going to be turning 24. Shaq Barrett is 26, and he's turning 27. Huh. I would probably take McKinley. I'd take Tack also. I would probably take McKinley. All right, give me, Evan, give me one more and make it a good one, and then we'll go home. All right, Marcus Peters against Byron Jones. Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters is a small dude. Marcus Relative Peters is small. six foot one ninety five, yeah. and Byron. But I think Byron Jones is pretty small too. Byron Jones is six foot two oh five. I think I take Peters actually. I think I might. Take I would Peters. probably take Peters too. I think Byron Jones is the better athlete, but Marcus Peters, I think, better fighter. Yeah, I would bet on Marcus Peters. Yeah. All right, there we go. That's Friday Athlete Deathmatch. <laughs> you remember the other? Remember the last time I was here? We did Friday Athlete Deathmatch. We did uh, Adam Schefter against Ian Rappaport. <laughs> yes, that was great. That uh, was fantastic. I, I am Woj and Adam Wojnarowski against Shams against Woj versus Shams. That was perfect. <laughs> All right. If I am not mistaken, I want to see. Right, hang on. Before we get off the air, I want to. We got late breaking news? I think I might have late breaking news. Go for it. Hang on. Let's hang on. I'm trying to see if there's news on this. So sit tight for a second. Is it that the Nationals won the World Series? It's not exactly Okay. It is not breaking news. It is not breaking news because I thought it was something more serious. But um, Urban Meyer is undoubtedly the top choice for USC as their next head coach. Ooh. Very so I, want, I, I saw something Urban Meyer USC, and I thought, like, Urban Meyer was definitely going to go there, but it is not definite yet. That's just the way that it sounds. Okay. Interesting. Matt Catarazzolo, Big J Journal. This is 2.30. We went a half hour over our time. I know. But, you know, what? we started like a half hour late so because we were having technical difficulties. You guys got to start paying me overtime. I guess so. Yeah. Matt Catarazzolo, Evan Mazza, my producer. I'm Mike Guido. This is the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.
You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.